and or review Wakanda Forever spoiler-free review and the return of the direct draft. All in today's lineup, everything you need to know about the universes you love. Here we go. Truth is, I am a Jedi. I'm the vengeance. And I am Iron Man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome to episode 119 of the Direct Podcast. Everything you need to know about the universes you love. A very exciting episode today. Of course, I'm your host, the Feather Serpent Podcaster, Matt Ripke, joined by my good friend, my fellow Colts fan, our box office correspondent who has his eyes on the numbers this week, David Thompson. David, big week at the box office. How are we feeling? Oh my gosh, this is a big week is an understatement. This is a huge week at the box office, not only because it is going to literally be just a massive, like the box office is going to be huge this weekend in totality because of Black Panther Wakanda Forever compared to what it's been over the last four, five months. I mean, I mean, months. (laughs) No, 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 we're not even like nothing. This might be one of the biggest weekends of 2022 um, because I think that's how powerful this opening weekend is going to be of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If it makes what I think it's going to make, which is around 190, 195, that's going to be the highest, the largest opening weekend for any film this year, right? Top mm-hmm. Gun had a great opening weekend, but its legs are what got it to it to its like incredible heights, right? But Marvel, Black Panther, opening weekend, it's going to be something special. And I'm really excited to see if it can pass that 200 mark, but you can go to me, guys. I'll be on the lookout. I'll be uh, excited to talk about all these things next week. The first return of a billion-dollar franchise since what? Well, No Way Home, um, technically. Far From well, Home no, made a billion. No, like, like, When's the last time a movie sequel came out where the previous one was a billion? Because Captain Marvel hasn't come out yet, obviously. It was Avengers Endgame. Well, no, right? I'm saying No Way Home because Far From Home made a billion. Oh, Far From Home made a billion. See, yeah, I didn't even know that. I didn't. Yeah. So yeah, so first return of a billion franchise since No Way Home. That's very exciting. Um, the domestic numbers is really what I've been looking at a lot this week. Uh, yeah, Doctor Strange at one eighty seven. I Doctor Strange had a hell of a run at the box office. Nine something, I think, was the final total. No, yeah, um, so definitely. The fact that that hit one eighty seven opening weekend, plus how much we predict the legs to be better. Than Multiverse of Madness for Black Definitely. Panther. I think sky's the limit. It's very exciting. That 190 is the number we're all looking at at domestic. Seems like a safe bet, but you know, we will see. And we will talk about it more next week. It's very exciting. Uh, a lot of stuff on the show today, David. We got news across all three brands, including some exciting Star Wars news for the first time in a little while. Yeah. Um, uh, an incredible review for an incredible episode of Andor, and we'll be drafting the best supporting cast in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a very fun draft. It's a very interesting draft. Um, I don't think we, we've we already recorded it. I don't think we've had a draft with that many cliffs and tiers um, in a while. Yeah. So, you know, th- those later rounds are very fun in that draft. We do that with the Agents of Fandom Boys. Shout out, TJ and Garrett. But to kick things off, David, um, we need to give, I need to give our spoiler-free review of Black Panther Wakanda forever. So the movie comes out tomorrow, um, Friday globally. 
and it is going to be flooded with so many reviews and spoilers and everything on Twitter. So in this yeah. small window of time, I'd like to give my spoiler-free thoughts on the movie before our full review this Friday. Dropping at like 10 a.m. Friday morning. We're going to have that for you. The very first thing Friday, it's going to be great um, to see what everybody thinks of this movie. But with Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I got to see it on Monday. It's a hell of a movie, man. It is it is a movie that accomplishes so much while also being an incredible sequel to Black Panther, which is something I didn't really consider going in. I didn't really think about how this movie also has an opportunity to build on a franchise that was incredibly impactful, not just in the MCU, but in fandom and comic book movies overall and we talked about um in our primer a lot about how we deal with losing chadwick and what comes with that with expectations and what really can they do with the weight of that looming over the movie and i am just so unbelievably impressed with how ryan coogler and the entire cast and everybody involved was able to embrace that adversity and embrace that tragedy and make it a poignant factor of the movie throughout. But also in between those emotional moments, there's an incredible MCU movie here. The biggest tone comparison I have for this movie within the MCU is Winter Soldier. It takes itself more seriously, I think, than any Marvel movie since Winter Soldier. Um, maybe Eternals, but you know that, that obviously had some um, woes along with that. This one... It, it it feels like an MCU movie for every reason except that vintage MCU vibe of, you know, quips and charisma and, you know, everybody having fun um, doing what they do. It, it, it doesn't lack that, but it's very far down the list of what they tried to do with this movie. And it's it's a refreshing, cathartic and emotional experience. Um, overall, there's points in the movie that I thought just absolutely slapped. Um, the performances across the board were all fantastic, but Letitia Wright and Angela Bassett specifically just shined beyond mm-hmm. belief in this one. Letitia Wright specifically, I think something I didn't expect them to do. Not, not, not that I didn't expect it. Something that they made a very strong point was to make Letitia Wright a star in this movie. Um, not just in her acting performance, but her character, Sherry is just, it's, it's an incredible arc. It's one of my favorite arcs. It is my favorite arc we've seen in phase four so far. And that's saying a lot. Everybody knows wow. how much I love Tom Holland and no way home, but that obviously had two movies to build up to that. Um, Sherry is uh, a force in this one. And I can't wait for everybody to see her. Um, Namor was fantastic. All the other supporting characters we've talked about, Lupita Nyong'o, Okoye, everything. Just just aces across the board from a performance standpoint. The action, um, it's it's not as good as the trailer um, makes it all seem because the trailer is very action focused and it's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's it's definitely not 100 um, percent hit rate on the action yeah. scene by scene. Uh, better moments than full action scenes, I guess I would say. Um, mm-hmm. But still, the action kept the energy going through what was a very long runtime. And, yeah, it's a long movie. It feels like a long movie, but. They take time to sit in a lot of different situations that really makes it all worth it. And I think that when you couple the emotional impact that this movie has with the passing of T'Challa, the evolution of the Black Panther franchise it has with 
Shuri and Okoye and Nakia and Mbaku and um, Queen Ramonda, just everybody taking that next step. When you pair those two narrative successes with the production success of this movie, how it looks, I've I've said Spielbergian a lot with Brian Coogler, how it feels, you know, all new different worlds being introduced. And then Ludwig in his bag just one more time with, um, you know, capturing what made the first Black Panther score so incredible was how much it added to the movie. And it, it is in spades here. It's um it's one of the coolest movies I've seen this year. And it's it's going to be tough not to see this movie all over our direct awards at the end of the year because it is that good it's without a doubt the best marvel movie so far this year in my opinion not even close and um it's it's everything i expected it to be everything i wanted it to be but also so surprising in so many ways and i cannot wait to talk about it more this friday david after hearing all these uh the second wave of reactions after you know second press got their shot to go see it on Monday and, you know, everything building up. Ryan Coogler's had what three interviews a day <laughs> the past three days. I feel like <laughs> where's your expectation level after hearing kind of the initial reactions and seeing the projection for black Panther Wakanda forever. It's high. Um, it's high, especially after reading your uh, written review um, on the direct.com. Go check that out guys uh, for more of Matt's thoughts. Thank you. Hearing you right now talking about it seeing others reading on Twitter, other reactions, and it is mixed, right? I think there are some tempered expectations because it's not everyone is gloating. It's not like at a 98% of Rotten Tomatoes, like in the mid 80s right now. It's not all great, which I think is a good thing. I think it's good sometimes when you go in, when there are mixed opinions and everyone, everyone uh, has their own opinion and that's fine, right? Everyone deserves to have their own opinion on any kind of movie. And I'm just excited to have my opinion. Matt, before we kind of move out of Wakanda Forever, what would you say just for the audience and for me, I guess, without a spoiler, obviously, what's like the one thing that surprised you the most? That's not like a not like a spoiler, but like an aspect of it. What would what would you say is and it could be for good or for bad? What kind of sure. surprised you the most about the movie? The most surprising thing for me is a very good thing, and it's the the grit and and ruggedness of the movie and especially in uh the second act leading into the third act it's it they they really hang on to the grief aspect and you know i don't think it's a spoiler to say this movie is about grief in so many different ways we all expected that but the the grittiness in which they approached that was shocking truly shocking and it wasn't even so much there were moments of that. It, it was sustained and it kept going. And it really built this emotional tension every single scene. And, you know, we've talked about this with Winter Soldier on this podcast a bunch where one of the one of the biggest things that makes that movie so impactful is every punch means something to every character delivering a punch. You know, when you're talking about Stephen Bucky, this one has that in spades. Um, especially near the end of the movie. And the, so, yeah, the biggest surprise to me that I thought was the crown jewel of this movie was the decision to really hang in the dark places um, of where this movie goes as long as they did. And it makes, you know, the sour makes the sweet so much better um, once, you know, everything just finally comes to a head at the end of this movie. It's 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 well, I knew it was going to be emotional. I did not know it was going to be as heartbreaking as it was, you know, especially with this franchise. You know, in my country, death is not the end. And that's, you know, that's such a poignant factor of this franchise. The way they play with that and the way that they explore 
you know, how different people handle death, not just in different cultures, but personally within those cultures um, was magnificent beyond belief. And I just, I can't shout out enough how great Letitia Wright is in this movie. Yeah. Not, not only as an actress, but um, the way that she uses the motivations off screen and on screen with her character, it was mesmerizing. It really was. And I, I just, I'm so excited to dive more into that because that is, a highlight of the MCU in phase four for me is how dark they went in this movie for so long and how much that pays off within the exact same runtime. Um, Letitia's here's the last thing I'll say before we move on. Spoiler yep. free. Letitia Wright is my front runner for MVP this year. Mm. And I, I just, I don't know how that's going to change. Obviously there's no more movies coming out, but um, I just think that she's, she's a star in this and I can't wait for people to see it. And yep. um, that's it. That's Black Panther. We're kind of forever spoiler free review. Feels so good to say those things out loud. Love it. <laughs> yeah, I bet. You know, and, and uh, I can't wait to talk more with you about it on Friday. Friday, we're dropping the full review for Black Panther. Me and David are going to be breaking it down. Good popcorn, bad popcorn, maybe even a new review segment that I've been toying around with. Mm. I don't know. It's going to be really fun and exciting. But until then, let's get into everything you need to know about the universe's you love starting first with J.J. Jameson. Spider-Man wasn't attacking the city. He was trying to save it. That's slander. It is not. I resent that. Slander is spoken. In print, it's libel. Starting off first, the return of a Phase 4 fan favorite in Phase 5? 6? We don't really know. Daniel RPK, very reliable source on the internet, has confirmed that Owen Wilson will be returning as Morbius in Mobius. Deadpool. Mobius, Morbius, huh. Owen Wilson <laughs> <laughs> returning as Mobius in Deadpool 3. Him and assumingly the TVA will be joining Deadpool and Wolverine, Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman on this assumingly multiversal journey. David, your instant reactions to Owen Wilson being a part of Deadpool 3. Kind of weird. Um, <laughs> Like it doesn't feel I don't know what Deadpool 3 is going to be besides Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman being in the film. Um, but yeah, right. Theoretically, a multiversal trip movie, you know, maybe it's a multiversal, um, what did first describe the idea for this movie to be like a road trip? Maybe it's a multiversal road trip now. Um, I would love to see Owen Wilson in it as the Mobius character feels kind of weird, but just based on what we've seen so far, but I think it could be cool, right? I think it would be interesting. I have, I'll be honest. I have low expectation for this actually happening, but maybe it will, mm. right? Maybe maybe it will, but I just kind of like, I wouldn't take this necessarily as like gospel truth by any means because it seems so early on. It's just, this is just a kind of a, I think a classic like floated out rumor. It could happen. It couldn't either way. It's fine. But the idea of it is funny enough, just having Owen Wilson in the film. The character seems a little odd. I We need more information about what this film is going to be, but I'm not taking too much weight in the fact that this is definitely happening. That's not that's not where I'm at. So I'm kind of take it or leave it in that sense. Sure. And, you know, for me, just kind of having a, a outside knowledge of what Deadpool has been in the comics and what he can be in the MCU. If I am taking this as a confirmed thing, I think this is an incredible decision to bring in this player onto this movie. 
And I think if Owen Wilson is in Deadpool 3, we get a much clearer picture of what this movie is going to be. And let me explain that a little bit. Owen Wilson, obviously a member of the TVA, we're familiar with the TVA, bops in and out of different timelines, universes, whatever you want to call it. It's a very complicated thing in the MCU. We have many articles on the direct.com fleshing all of that out. Make sure to go check those out for sure. But if Owen Wilson is in this movie, I think it confirms that this will be Deadpool and Wolverine bouncing around the multiverse into different universes, probably exploring old X-Men franchises, probably exploring new MCU franchises and old as well. And I think that it is such an awesome piece to this puzzle because Owen Wilson, we know and we have seen in six straight episodes, has extensive knowledge about traveling the multiverse and the ins and outs and the rules. I think he can be an amazing facilitator of the plot in this movie, which is something Marvel Studios does so well, is that they do their exploration and their plot details um, through these charismatic characters that deliver, you know, heavy, not heavy, but heady, sorry, information um, in creative and charismatic and usually charming and funny ways. And Owen Wilson is the perfect person to do that in this movie. A calm, hilarious, um, you know, comedic voice to explain what is going on because we know Deadpool and Wolverine are going to be, you know, off the rails when it comes to dialogue and things like that. So it grounds it in the MCU in a really weird way, you know, for, for the most ambiguous corner of the MCU, that being the multiverse and the TVA, I think Owen Wilson is a great way to ground this movie into the rules set within this universe and will allow the audience to kind of sit back and enjoy whatever multiversal adventure this is going to be, knowing Owen Wilson's going to be there to kind of explain what's going on. And we're going to enjoy watching it. I can't wait. I think it's an awesome, awesome decision. I hope it is the case. We will be here right here on the direct podcast to officially confirm it when it is officially confirmed. Something that is officially confirmed by one of the big rags deadline has confirmed that Daniel Coulier has joined across the spider verse at Spider-Punk, Across the Spider-Verse, of course, is a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, the animated Spider-Man movie, my second or third top Spider-Man movie. It's between that and it's it's that, Homecoming and No Way Home, those right. three. It's a it's tough one to pick. Um, but yeah, so obviously very anticipated sequel, adding on Daniel Coulier, a fan favorite actor in many different franchises. And um, he's coming in as Spider-Punk, somebody that I don't know anything about, but one of my favorite costumes on PS4, which is, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, a lot of our touchstones to the Spider-Man multiverse stuff, right? Um, so real quick, David, uh, before we get into the second bullet here, what is your instant reaction to Daniel Coulier joining the Marvel Universe in animated form? Cool. I mean, maybe it's like he's itching uh, or he's like scratching his, his Marvel itch because he wasn't in Black Panther 2 and now he wants to get involved in something else. I think it's cool casting, right? He's awesome. He's he's a great actor. Um, he's been he's been great in like almost everything he's been in, uh, especially Get Out specifically. Um, that's where he, I think he really shines. Spider Punk, another cool addition to this universe. And now we've got Across the Spider-Verse that we'll have Beyond the Spider-Verse. So we're getting we're going to get to it more in a second. So many different variants or whatever you want to call it. These different spider people. Spider Punk will be fun, right? Like I think he's going to be some uh, comedic relief. Like I can already imagine just what they're going to bring to the table with him and his guitar and his spiked up helmet and hair and all that good stuff. So, yeah, not too much to really go off of in terms of Spider Punk. And I'm not even I will say I'm a big Spider-Man fan, but I've read some of the like Spider-Verse comics and they even get a little 
messy sure. for me, right? They get, I, I, I see like their point sometimes, but into the Spider-Verse does the best job, I think, of giving more like heart to like what that really means and like that that connection across universes and making it a little more compact too, right? The story is a little more like clear and concise, not like 75 different editions of comics going in different directions and you have to read this, you know, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Gwen run and then this like, uh, anyway. <laughs> so yeah. I, I go on about that. But yes, I'm very excited about this. I think it's good casting, right? Like nothing to not be excited about, I suppose. Absolutely, especially with like an animated film, you want to get names on the board. And I think yeah, Kulia is one of those names. I'm on the poster. Um, I think I I expect Spider Punk to play one of those supplementary roles, like we did with uh, uh, Spider Man Noir, Nick Cage, the robot uh, gal, and um, Spider Pig in the first one. I expect just like you know more of that. Not not those guys less, but just more of those types of characters. I think Spider Punk plays that role, but also. Is being rumored that we will be getting a few cameo type characters that will pop in and provide their voice to this Spider-Man universe. And the rumors are Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, and Spider-Man PS4. Um, obviously, the first three actors and voices that we love as Spider-Man, Spider-Man PS4, it's more just the suit. But you have to assume um, uh, Yuri whatever his last name is, um, would voice that character. So four legendary Spider-Men in their time and in their platforms uh, rumored to be cameoed in this movie. David, do you think that we get all four, some of them, or um, none of them, knowing that we have a third movie coming out just a year after? It's a weird one for me. Um, I I can see their idea of trying to bring them in in some sort of animated fashion. My worry and maybe I shouldn't be worried about this is if they did besides Spider-Man PS4, which I think is the most natural addition because it's all then just digital animated. That'd be pretty cool. I think, I think that would be, that'd be really cool in my opinion. Um, especially if it connected somehow, that'd be so, for a big game is for a big, this movie is like, yeah. And it comes out, I mean, it's supposed to come out next year too. So, um, that could be such a cool crossover. Obviously you toss out Toby, Andrew and Tom, and sure, I'm excited, but I'm a little skeptical, right? Like, I don't want too much of a good thing in the sense, like, I don't want their, like, kind of faces and their suits just to be in the movie just for, like, that cameo purpose. Like, what made No Way Home so good was because Toby and Andrew served such a poignant purpose to the story. Um, and in this case, I don't think that would be what's happening here. I think it would be, like, a blip in time. They'd pop up for a second. Yeah. And it would be a cool little like woo like cameo. I'd be in the moment, I'd be pumped. But I'm not, you know, I'm not like I'm not begging for it like I was before No Way Home for this like team up. I think I and I do fear they could even get desperate enough. Desperate might be the wrong word, but want to do it so much where they would just throw their like likeness on a digital model, their suit, and maybe not even have them sandy lines or maybe not even have them do the voice acting because they're not inexpensive <laughs> you know and it's a little more complicated getting those kinds of guys to sign on for a cameo than maybe some others so those are my thoughts um i am cautiously excited i guess like i, I another another one today where it's like it feels like such a rumor to me like any it, to me it's one of those things where like anyone could say that and i'd be like yeah i could see that happening Everyone can see that happening. So I don't want to like almost speak too much on it because it's not anywhere near confirmed in my brain. 
Right. Uh, for me, you know, with this franchise and where it's going with the success to the first one, how, you know, how big the second one can be bringing in Oscar Isaac with Spider-Man 2099, knowing that we're getting beyond the Spider-Verse shortly after across the Spider-Verse. For me, it is very much a case of when, not if we see to- here, Toby, Andrew and Tom in these movies. And I, I agree with you. I do think that they will be a cup of coffee cameo likened to daredevil and no way home where they come in for a quick scene, do their thing. And just, you know, they, they, they be a part of what is really just a celebration of the Spider-Man franchise. And I, I think it would be wrong for those three not to contribute in some way. I don't think that all four of those characters are going to happen in one movie. I do right. think that they're going to save the big three, Toby, Andrew and Tom, um, for uh, the third movie, which I think could be a really awesome thing. And another really awesome thing is picking up a lot of steam, David. It's one of the most, you know, why are they making this series confirmed by Moral Studios right now? Agatha Coven of <laughs> Chaos, um, obviously starring Agatha all along, played by Catherine Hahn. Um, first of all, it gets a nine episode run just like WandaVision. And also, it is um, reported that they have cast Aubrey Plaza, Eric Andre, and Sashir Zameda in that series. Um, Aubrey Plaza, obviously from Parks and Rec, is just an ideal casting for any sort of witch, anything specifically. Yeah, Amen. specifically. In the yeah. Um, Amen. You know, she's she she was a no brainer for this one. Um, Eric Andre, obviously one of the most legendary comedians of the 2000s. He's going to make his MCU debut, and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Everything he does is fantastic. I know he's goofy and stupid. I think he's brilliant. Um, and then Sashir Zameda, um, SNL alumni. I like her a lot on SNL. So, um, David, just quick hit overall thoughts on the nine-episode run. Aubrey Plaza, Eric Andre, and Sashir Zameda. Aubrey Plaza in this show, 180 turn on what this show is going to be like, right? Do you watch White Lotus, Matt? HBO show? Okay. Weird show. Like, it's one of these shows where, like, every conversation is purposefully kind of awkward, uncomfortable. It's 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 odd. Season two just started. It's like it took the place of House of Dragon. It's every Sunday now at nine. White Lotus comes out. And Aubrey Plaza is in the new season. And she is awesome. I forgot. her. I, I just I feel like I just haven't had enough of her in my life since Parks and Rec and like watching that show and now kind of getting her back in White Lotus. Now it's going to be Coven of Chaos. I would love to see her just being one of the people of Westview. Like she just happened. She was just one of those things where like retroactively, she was one of the people that, you know, Wanda had taken over, quote unquote. And then maybe we progress from there because that's the thing for me is what is this story really going to be? What's it going to add to? I think Aubrey Plaza seems so far, at least as amazing casting for the direction of this show. So it it sure. gives me what, what this casting does and Eric Andre as well. What this casting does, and sometimes this is what happens in projects is you don't know the tone, you don't really know the details, the plot, but you see the casting and you get an idea or you see the director and you get an idea. Okay, that's what this is going to be like. That's what this show or movie is going to feel like, sound like, taste like, smell like, whatever. <laughs> and in this case, um, I mean, I'm getting a clearer picture. And while Coven of Chaos is definitely not nowhere near the top of my most anticipated MCU project list, it's going to be a good time. I, I don't I don't doubt that. 
right? Catherine Hahn, Aubrey Plaza, sign me up. Yeah, those two alone. Like, what a great combo. I, I feel, um, I think how you feel about Aubrey Plaza being in Covenant Chaos is how I feel about Owen Wilson being in Deadpool 3. It gives it a little bit of direction. It gives me more of an idea of what's going to go on. Um, and it's different because I know what Owen Wilson's character is. But um, I just think that this this uh, this show is, we're going to know more in the trailer, obviously. It's one of those ones where you got to wait for the teaser to really understand the opportunity, though to open an episode, maybe even the first episode, think about how many times we've seen the blip um, happen in real time to a person. Obviously, Mark yeah. Rambo coming back, Yelena Belova going away and coming back on the same scene. And then even Kate Bishop's uh, Battle of New York point of view, seeing Wanda take over Westview from the point of view of somebody being taken over and really what that was like for everybody in the moment. That could be very cool. I think getting back to Westview is going to be a very awesome thing, especially if we lean into the aftermath of WandaVision. And and it's something that people complain about right away. Yeah. You know, like, you know, she's just going to walk away scot-free. No, I the MCU always comes back and dives into the aftermath of something like this. And Covenant of Chaos seems to be the vehicle for that. Did they say Covenant of Chaos is that phase five? Yes. Phase five. Okay. Yes, it okay. is phase five. I don't remember exactly when. Me I neither. Up right Why? Now, yeah. But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's the back half of phase five, one of the series. Um, I think during Halloween time, which sounds right. Um, so yeah, that has been your red brand news. Moving on to the blue side with Perry White. Crime wave in Gotham. Other breaking news. Water wet. The hierarchy of power in the DC universe, you know the rest. Um, obviously... James Gunn being the new co-CEO of DC Films has been the talk of the town with the blue brand. And earlier this week, he had a social media message for fans of the DC universe, and it was hyper refreshing. It was in somewhat direct response to recent campaigns to hashtag save legends of tomorrow, a recently canceled CWDC property. And of course, release the air cut, which is the Snyder cut of the original Suicide Squad back in 2016 james gunn tweeted out addressing all of those um fans who kind of want to know what's going to happen and you know the snyder cut happened why can't we get this too james gunn made it very clear that the future of the dceu of the dcu is being planned it's being worked on and they have a lot of really big ideas moving forward. It is all about the future, not the past for James Gunn um, and his team over at DC Films. He says that he hears fans. He understands fans. But he made it very clear to those fans that we are in a new generation and we'll be moving forward as such. Um, and he also praised the importance of being transparent and communicating with the fans and just kind of letting people know. James Gunn understands the murkiness of this situation, not only with the DCU, what it tried to be, what it failed to be, and then also the entire Snyder situation with a sector of DC fans wanting to go back to square one with the same team. He, uh, he addressed that they were going to make sure that you know their plans are clear and they're going to let fans know what to expect from DC universes. And one of those things is quote unquote, the biggest stories ever told, which he capitalized that in his tweet, David. And I wrote an article about it and the, the greatest stories ever told is a collection series of DC comics where they go back to Superman, Batman, justice league, all the different big names, places, and teams 
of the DC universe and collect the best stories from the early days of DC. And, you know, that's, that's nothing new in comics, but the way he phrased that made me think that my reaction to that was they're going to go back to their roots. We're going to go back to what makes the DC universe great in the comics and apply that on screen. David, your reaction to James Gunn taking this new holistic transparent approach to the DC universe that has been sorely lacking from this franchise in the past. Listen, I have been, and from the beginning, I was one of the only people I feel like I heard on, on the internet that was cautiously remaining optimistic about this David Zaslav thing in terms of, you know, basically the, the new conglomerate WB discovery um, and his direction. I know he cut Batgirl controversy controversy right all this stuff's going on i remain slightly optimistic in terms of like what this could mean for the future of dc specifically i don't know about the whole conglomerate and the whole business that's a whole other discussion but what this means for the future of dc now he's made this move bringing in james gunn as the lead creative of dc studios i feel so comforted and so Mm -hmm. excited for the future but the main thing i want to say is comfort right I love this. This is amazing. It is. I mean, this this guy, James Gunn, writer, director, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Suicide Squad. He is going to be telling, walking us through it as I think I, I believe as we go, like he wants to get fans excited, but he also wants to craft a brilliant story over multiple movies because that's his job. We know this. David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers, came to James Gunn. I don't know. I don't know how specifically this is not a report or anything. Came the James Gunn. <laughs> David was there. <laughs> I was there. I was a fly on the wall. And during the hiring process, right, he wanted someone to basically be the Kevin Feige-esque role here of we want a 10-year plan. We're going to have a 10-year plan. We need someone to instill that plan and make this thing work over HBO Max shows, films, animation, whatever, right? But make it a universe a la the mcu which they'll never probably meet one-to-one but they can head in that direction right and these tweets a breath of fresh air just in general right like we would never get anything like this from even like a feige type but it's a whole different situation kevin feige doesn't have to do this (laughs) it'd be weird if he did because there isn't that (laughs) like this is it's like um what's the word i'm looking for it's like caution control or whatever I'm trying to think of. Damage where, control. Damage control. Thank you. Where he's basically trying to address people and he doesn't address Snyder fans necessarily, but other other kind of like DC sectioned off fans and say, hey, we hear you. We know we love you. We want you to be on our team. We are working on something great. We are working on the biggest story ever told across these films and shows and all this great stuff. And I have full faith. Like it's going to take years down the line probably beyond his current four-year contract, which I hope he'll, uh, you know, eventually re-up, but I get how we're right now. He wants to be four years. I'm so excited for the future, man. Like, he makes me feel genuinely confident in the future for the first time with DC in a very long time because I don't think he's going to throw things at the wall just to see if they'll stick, right? I think he's really going to craft a plan here and he's been given the car keys, I think one thing with DC before is they just kind of gave Snyder the car keys, but he was never the he was never an executive. They just let him kind of make these movies, you know, Man of Steel. Then they wanted to, you know, fast forward to 
BVS and Justice League. And they're like, hey, Zach, just just keep making what you're making. That wasn't the right plan, obviously. And, and that's been backtracked a million times. This is the plan, right? This makes more sense. This is going to be, in my opinion, sort of like MCU, where there is an executive, James Gunn, who will still be making films, too. I, I wrote an article for the direct.com as well. You guys can go check out where I basically described what the main differences are between James Gunn, Kevin Feige, got some interesting conversations on there. But he's still going to be directing, writing movies. So he has a unique situation as well, where he's going to be you know, producing films of his own um, while being this executive. But I think it's so important that we have someone like a gun who gets comic books, who understands storytelling that can lead this ship, that can redirect this ship to a greater place. And beyond everything else, like I started this whole speech with comforting. This was a comforting moment to me and I think to many other DC fans out there. Absolutely. I, I echo everything you said. Nothing really to add. Um, there's also a post that he had on Mastodon because social media is on fire um, that he teased Lobo, um, a famous and well-beloved DC Comics character um, to potentially be one of the next villains in an upcoming movie. I know absolutely nothing about this character other than he is some sort of heavy metal galactic bounty hunter. And yeah. he's got like a monster figure to him. David, do you have anything to add on Lobo? He was supposed like I think Logo Lobo initially in comics was supposed to like be a satire of I believe Wolverine um sure. <laughs> for Marvel and then he just kind of took off and became like this super popular I don't know I, I super popular character I don't know much about him but it is going to be cool once like kind of finishing out this whole segment on Gun it's going to be cool because Gun is such an active social media user how often he does this yeah. How often he teases us because now it's before we were interested in what he was tweeting. Now it's under a microscope, right? Because he is the one signing checks. He's right. the one making these decisions. Like, I know I wrote an article about what the differences are, but a big similarity with him and Feige is they're making some big decisions on what's happening here. And we would yeah. never get the behind the scenes look, quote unquote, that we're getting with Gunn like we would have Feige. And it's going to be fun, right? It's going to be fun when he posts just like a still of Henry Cavill or just the the Superman logo or, you know, the green lantern ring or whatever, right? It's going to because then you really know it means something that's coming straight from the source. <laughs> you know, yeah. it won't have to come from, you know, any website. It's straight from the source. This this is the guy. This is the fountain of DC information heading forward. So it's it's really fun. It's really cool. Yeah, super exciting stuff, and the DC universe looks brighter than ever, despite the um, next few movies we have to get through that seem to be a little bit of a holdover. Not that we're not excited for those movies, but those are it's it's going to be a, a pre-post situation once we kind of get a clearer picture of what's going on. Moving on to a galaxy far, far away, Obi-Wan. That's good news. Another Star Wars movie has... Been in talks with a major director in Hollywood, and this one is pretty exciting. It is being reported that Sean Levy is in talks to direct an upcoming Star Wars movie. For those who don't know, Sean Levy is a producing partner with Ryan Reynolds in many of his projects. Deadpool 2, Free Guy, 
and his uh, Adams Project over on Netflix. Sean Levy is also going to be directing Deadpool 3 and be producing that entire corner. Another thing on Sean Levy's resume is that he is a Stranger Things veteran. He is one of the major showrunners for Stranger Things, and he's been reported as the one mostly responsible for the universe building in the Stranger Things sector. Him taking on a Star Wars movie is very exciting. David, your initial reactions to Sean Levy taking on a Lucasfilm. Really cool. Um, I, I want to start with that, though. The positive is that Sean Levy, I think, would be a great choice for a Star Wars film. However, <laughs> will we get this movie? Is it happening? Who knows? When is it going to happen? Is this the 2025 film? I feel like the issue that I have with this new story and Sean Levy tweeted it out, too, that he he was like geeking about it. He's like, oh, man, this is like a dream come true. How he's in talks, basically, and kind of confirming the report. And also mm-hmm. leading us to believe that this really could be happening. Awesome. I, I love how, but the, it wouldn't be the 2025 film. I'm speaking out of my. Because Deadpool. Because Deadpool, right? This would be a later film. That's cool though, right? I think Star Wars's quote unquote new plan of trying to find, you know, good filmmakers, go one movie at a time, do, do you know, make a new hope in the meaning, like make a complete story that could have a continuation um and try your best is good however i am still frustrated with the lack of clarity right like we really we we need to stop i I need to stop hearing this name and that name and this movie and that movie and get some concrete things in production because it's just not happening it's simply not happening the shows are running great and or amazing but on the film side report report announcement patty jenkins on a runway all these things, Taika Waititi with some colorful Star Wars logo. That means absolutely jack shit. So I am frustrated and I continue. I will continue to be until I get something really concrete. And when I say really concrete, I mean, there's a cast director writers. They're at the soundstage in Atlanta, wherever, <laughs> you know, we need something. But I do rounding it all back to the actual news story. I do think Sean Levy is an excellent choice if it does become a reality and that's my concern because he's a busy guy like you just said busy guy mm-hmm. he's gonna be involved in stranger things the final season deadpool like it's awesome for him like what a career he's assembling holy shit um like that's amazing right that he can now do a star wars film but i want to see it for real right i i really want to see that something from star wars film division come to life and we haven't gotten it in a while and I get they're very gun shy and Disney Plus is working great for them. But I love Star Wars movies. I want more Star Wars movies, right? I want to go to the big screen and watch some Star Wars. So uh, we'll see how it turns out. Um, but I do think he is a good selection for, a, you know, a writer, director for a potential Star Wars film. I agree. I like Sean Levy's stuff a lot. I think he can make something very fun. It's almost like it's weird that like, you know, when you, back in the day, when you used to think of who could direct a Star Wars movie, you kind of had to find a director that fits the Skywalker tone that Star Wars had. Now, moving forward, it's almost more like let's find a director with a great sense of vision and style and adapt Star Wars to them, much right. like they did with Tony Gilroy. So I think that uh, personally, I think we should handle the Star Wars movie side of things like we handled the DC um eu before the james gunn news um where it was like yeah reports you know 
this could be happening, but we really just don't know until it happens. We don't we don't have any idea of what stays, what goes. And until we do it, it, it just feels like we're t- talking in circles every time we talk about Star Wars movies. So I think moving forward, we're going to report on movie news as such until something more concrete, like you said, comes out. But something that is very concrete, something that is very happening, something that is some of the best Star Wars ever made is Tony Gilroy's Andor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to Andor Episode 10, One Way Out. It continues to be the best titled Disney Plus show so far. The titles always hit. Um, One Way Out, Andor Episode 10. It's me. It's David. And joining us, as he will for the rest of the series, that is Andor. Our Star Wars correspondent, Jack Pews. Jack, how we doing? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. Andor rocks. Seeing Black Panther 2 tomorrow. Had my sister's wedding this weekend. It's hey. it's just been a time this past week. So I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Congratulations to you and your family. Weddings are always a very cool thing. And boys, we just got to dive right into it. It's uh, and or episode 10. Here we are. I mean, what a review this is going to be. We're going to do it a little differently because there's three of us. And because this is a very different episode, a one track mind episode, as opposed to other episodes and or where we bounce around a little bit. So, Jack, as our guest, we're going to start with you first. Your overall thoughts for and or episode 10. Overall thoughts. Uh, again, first thing I see is the title. So I will agree with Matt that this title was awesome. And then seeing how it's used in the episode. Fantastic. Um, yeah, this episode, honestly, I think Aldani's still my favorite, which was episode six, but this this is probably my second favorite episode of the show. I mm. mean, a, many moments where I got emotional, um, and sometimes that emotion turned into tears, guys. I'm not going to lie. Um, other times where I was fist pumping or just intrigued, I, like I really am connecting with each and every character, and there's just something about this, this show that feels so real. Like more real than anything in Star Wars. I think it was Taika Waititi said one time that the thing about Star Wars is that it takes itself seriously, but not too seriously. This show, a hundred percent full throttle, takes itself seriously, and it's all the better for it. Um, this show's just on a roll right now, and it, it's not slowing down anytime soon. Two more episodes left, and they, for me, I mean, they're just at their peak. T- Tony Gilroy, every every creator involved, they're just crushing. Absolutely. Um, David, uh, your overall thoughts for Andor episode 10. Before I get to that, I want a clarifying question for Jack for the audience. So you have Aldani's episode four, where we get introduced to Aldani. Oh, shoot. The eye. My bad. It was the eye. Okay. Just just making sure. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What a good show. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Like when the the actual like Aldani event that we hear across the galaxy happens. When the shit goes down. Yeah. Just like this one. Um, this is my favorite episode <laughs> so far. I would say. I, I think. I think what puts it over the top of where I would have the eye before this of like, like you said, shit going down is the tone of this episode and just the. Uh, it's just, it's so serious in like the best way possible. Like everything just feels so real. Like you from the, uh, not to get into spoilers, but like just from the prisoner's standpoint i'll say oh my gosh i'm just living it I'm, i almost was getting emotional watching it there's a real just kind of like call to arms like this this like mob mass kind of uprising feeling where 
you don't really get those emotions a lot. Sometimes you are supposed to in filmmaking and in shows, but you don't always actually get it. And in this, they did such an expert job of kind of like well-crafting all the characters, all the prisoners, and then just how it all unfolds, man. And some great performances, like beyond everything else in, in this show, the casting and just each individual performance is like perfect. I mean, like 10 out of 10. I, I don't know any. There's like no misses in that department, I would say. So, yeah, I was this is I, I would argue this is the best episode of Andor and some of the best Star Wars we've seen in, in a while. Like I, I would even argue since like Disney bought the company and stuff like that. I mean, sure, there's there's a whole list at the top, but I think this show and this episode in general is around there because I thought this was phenomenal use of the universe and just storytelling in general. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with both of you. Um this is the best episode of Disney Plus television ever made. Wow. Like this is this is as good as it gets. Like like this is as good as Star Wars has ever been i'm not saying it's better than empire i'm not saying that it's better than new hope or whatever but this is as good as star wars has ever been the way that they have manufactured this show from the very beginning slow progression through a couple different arcs now now at the end of our third arc in this series how much i care about every single word everybody is saying across the board is phenomenal. And the way that they use these these simple executions of plot to just drive so much emotion in and out of different characters is just it was it was it was shocking to watch how good this was when really it is a very simple, clear-cut episode. And I think that it really does just prove how good this show is like this episode just just cemented so much of the entire season for me the same way the eye we talked about um kind of like i remember when we talked about that episode i talked about how like that payoff throughout that episode made the previous two episodes better the same way mcu movies can retroactively make other mcu movies better age of ultron uh civil war things like that episode 10 makes episode nine and eight two episodes i love so much better and to carry all of that weight while still being as good as it is and having so many great moments that it does just phenomenal what a world they've built within the star wars universe this is a spinoff of a spinoff guys and it is absolutely crushing in a way that i have not seen star wars crush maybe in my lifetime like it's 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 insane how good this is. Um, and I can't wait for the direct awards um, here in a couple months um, because series of the year is going to be tough. It is going to be a tough battle between this and House of the Dragon and Miss Marvel, if that's your thing. Um, I think that uh, Peacemaker obviously is just like, you know, between Andor, House of the Dragon and Peacemaker, I think we've gotten three elite series so far this year and or with two episodes left is in heavy contention. And that's an amazing thing because the last thing I'll say in overall thoughts before we get into spoilers, if this show has proven anything, it does pay off extremely well. Imagine what this season finale is going to be, guys. Like, yeah. like oh season God. payoff? That's insane. We haven't seen it yet, and I can't wait to talk more about it as we get into spoilers. 
we're going to do it a little different today this is a very unique episode in the sense that it is kind of a 10 out of 10 um and it allows itself to do that because we only bounce out of the prison a couple times and the couple times we do pretty on point across the board so here we go with our first time ever in a review shared popcorn because and it's the third time i'll say it the best popcorn is the popcorn your friend sitting next to you bought you know, because you get to just kind of pick at it a little bit. So the three of us, we're going to share some popcorn today. We have three major good popcorn talking points that we're going to bounce around a little free swim action and talk about. Jack, I'm going to go to you first. The plot of the prison break that we get in Andor episode 10. Um, it's, you know, just to kind of set it up a little bit, right? It, it does such a good job going off that last line from last week, never more than 12, where we see Andy Circus flip. You know, we see him decide, okay, now it's on. And he becomes one of the greatest assets that Andor could ever dream of um, on his prison break crew. We see that at the very end of last week. And then we spend like two, three minutes with Andy Serkis at the beginning of this episode as he kind of just thinks through everything. It picks up right where last week left off. And he just kind of thinks through everything. But once he decides to go, game time. It's on. And so, Jack, you know, Going through the prison break, just kind of how everything went down. What were some of your favorite parts of the plan, how it was executed, and the pieces at play? Well, you just referenced the first one, which is that, you know, we see Andy Serkis flip in the last episode, and then he almost does another flip here of like, yeah, it's go time. And when he's just staring off in his cell and he starts yelling, no one's getting out. Um, I think at that moment is when he becomes not only is he involved now, but he's going to be a leader of this thing because he needs to be and Andor lets him know that he needs to be Um, some other great moments in this. I mean, this was the thing I was most curious about because we all knew this episode was going to be the prison break. Like we all knew it was coming. They're doing these different uh, three episode arcs and whatnot. So I was like, I I was most curious about like, how are they going to make this work? We saw Andor playing with that water pipe in the bathroom, but it's like, I was, I didn't know what that was going to be for. And this is my other, um, like my second favorite thing about this prison break or the plot of it, the plan is busting that pipe. Again, I didn't know what it was for. I think until I saw the shot of the water on his feet. Yeah. And I started to understand it. That's when it clicked like, Oh, but then again, you don't know if it's going to work. Cause I mean, like water and electricity, I go like, Oh, that's probably not the best idea. (laughs) Um, But I mean, it's, it's a galaxy far, far away. So I don't think it's just normal electricity that we have here on earth. Um, but yeah, like that, that, and then <laughs> space again, electricity, space electricity. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> but yeah. And then another moment with Andy circus is when they realize that the water worked and that the floors are fried and that yeah. it's just attack. <laughs> <laughs> the moment, it's like Lord of the Rings, the third movie. It's like, let's just go. Um, and just everyone swarms in. It's what David was talking about. It's everyone coming together in that moment, like a band of brothers, like we're all in this together. High school musical shout out. Like I, I wanted to run with them. I wanted to be in there with them. Like, like, yeah, let's go do this thing. Um, and then finally, and we'll definitely hit on this in um, in another piece of good popcorn. But again, I didn't know what the overall plan was. Like, okay, they're out of their little section of the prison. Now what? And so they're climbing, they're getting guns and all this stuff. And then they go to that control room, and. By the way, those those three guys are the three Imperials in that moment where Andy Serkis so just good. shoots that one guy. Yeah. And the guy's like, I'll do it. <laughs> like, don't worry. Yeah. 
Um, it, yeah, and then of course it gets to Andy Circus's speech, and it's just like, oh, they're like, this is how they're letting everyone know. I didn't even think about there being a control center because I'm so caught up in the rest of this show. Um, so yeah, I thought it was the plot of all this. I had no idea what to expect, just like with a lot of this show, no idea what was coming, and I thought it was really smart. But the the most smart thing about it was that the most smart thing the smartest thing about it was that it wasn't overly complicated you know they right. they have that speech and then everyone goes and then they jump out and that's it i thought there might be another little thing there but the episode doesn't need it um so yeah this is just like one portion of the script and, and of course the directing and editing for making all this work within the episode is just phenomenal absolutely it's 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 something to see it really is and david i want to go to you with you know, we we kind of like Jack said, we get a look at section five. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. We get a look at our section, our guys, and kind of how they progress through escaping their workroom. And it's intense. And that, and you know, we spend a lot of time on that single escape, you know, with the water and then the bridge. And then, you know, shots get fired and people die. Like yep. like the 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 zombie attack that is this prison break, David. I thought it was a very cool thing how we got to see that kind of slowly happen. And then the trickle down of seeing all the other sectors start to break out and realize what's happening. What it, you know, can you speak to the scale of the prison break and how it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it was a numbers game? That's what I loved about it so much was first the realization bouncing off of last episode of like they killed 100 guys on two. What happened in two, right? And then that slow burn kind of turn realization, I guess, this one of like, we are not getting out of here. <laughs> you know, this is not happening. Switch. Yeah. Like we, th they are going, they're sending people that get out to another prison and word is getting out. And once that information disseminated amongst, you know, Cassian and all of his group on in section five, like we just said, the sections get confusing because it's Narkina five where he's at and anyway whatever <laughs> there's a there's a lot there's a lot of like it's very confusing i would just love to get palpatine's like excel spreadsheets of everything like it would just be oh man that there'd be a lot to dig into there that's the most star wars thing about this show is the ridiculous names yeah like that's the <laughs> most star wars it gets sorry <laughs> no but continuing on, i thought it was really funny like i was with jack in the sense of like i didn't know what the water was for i knew it was some sort of importance then i'm like oh, okay they're just like wanting to flood it and then like oh right it's the floor they want to screw that up honestly i was kind of scared when the plan starts happening because like these guys but it, i like i liked how scary it was and also i guess how the odds were against them in the sense of the initial kind of push because it is like chucking metal at them, right? There's two dudes with, with the high ground with gun with blasters just shooting down. I'm like, holy shit. But finally, they get them. I love the shot of Cassian shooting the one in the face. We don't see it. Sick. Amazing. And then, like you said, the continuation going to the other sections, you know, going through, right? Turn the quarter, boom, boom, like, you know, shoot to kill, essentially. Get out, get out. And then the guy, and then I, what I enjoyed about that, uh, your question is when they would get to other sections like you know whatever eight through nine and you know all this stuff the people would like the prisoners would be like what <laughs> like, what, like what are you talking about they'd like hesitate because they were so used to you know on program on program they were so like in the system it was like what are you talking about and then we get to finally andy circus in there and that incredible speech he gives i do want to just shout out like andy circus in general in this 
so good when we didn't even we didn't even know he was coming. We he's already been in Star Wars. He's already been a main character in the sequel trilogy. Um, and now he's back as a whole different character. And he was incredible in this episode. That speech gave me goosebumps. It was just such an awesome call to arms. And you really felt once again that this is an uprising. This is a rebellion. Every single time in this show, there's been opportunity to. We've been reminded this is truly a rebellion. It's not this fun, jokey rainbow thing. It is a, you have, like, in order to rebel, it's dirty, it's gritty, it's grimy. People die quickly. And without, like, it's one of those, it's, it makes feel death real a little bit. It's like, without any kind of, like, big shocking moment or music happening, the guy just died, right? He just got shot and that's it. And you have to keep going. And it's just so cool. It's, it's so well done so far, this show. And I love just at, at the end of getting all them together, just that shot of them all swimming, right? They all just get out one way out. They make it, they dive in and they're gone. So, uh, yeah, it, it was incredible uh, in terms of like the collection of all the parts and pieces together leading to all the prisoners breaking out for the most part. Absolutely. And I think what's what's awesome that this show has done in the past and they continue to do um, uh, Nimic, is that his name? the manifesto guy yes you know like like his death his you know like we expect during the heist episode for this to be some grand very star wars heroic death to allow the rest of the team to succeed right you know sacrifice yourself for the greater good kind of thing that's what a rebellion is and what what we actually got was he died because a strap was loose and he got smashed by something you know like a shifting of luggage during flight that's how he died it wasn't grandiose or anything and that was like a shocking thing in this one i'm on the edge of my seat waiting for something to go wrong the entire time the water you know we break the bridge we're finally climbing how do we get everybody else out at no point do they have to like adjust and overcome something they didn't expect like at no point is that a thing and you know, like on the surface level, that can be considered like a negative because like, well, if they didn't overcome anything, then, you know, why was it interesting? It was interesting because the plan was to just run as fast as you can and get out one way out. And and the result of that is some people, not everybody's going to make it, but just the continued pressure that this group of prisoners put on this escape just over and over. It didn't allow for anything wrong to go down because they were just kept pushing through to the point where they have that great scene where the prisoners are running through and all the guards are hidden in a, you know, a closet somewhere because they're terrified. That was was awesome to overrun them, you know, no more than 12. Like they knew that they knew as long as they could get to their checkpoints you know, their volume was going to keep getting bigger and you were just going to be overtaken. And they did that so well because still knowing that that was the plan, knowing that that's what was going on, I was waiting for that other shoe to drop. And it doesn't drop until we get to the ledge where everybody jumps and he can't swim. He can't fucking swim. And we don't know what what happens. We don't know what happens. It's an incredible moment. I was shell-shocked when he said it. And the second time he says it was just, just an, yeah, can't swim. Like he puts his arms up. Like, hey, what are you gonna do? Can like, I shout like, something out? Andy Circus, though, great oh casting. Kind of looks like he can't swim, right? Like I believe, <laughs> I believe that Andy Circus can't swim. Like that, that just didn't 
I'm like, yeah, makes sense. that makes Can't sense. Can't swim like a motherfucker. It's <laughs> hilarious. But like, I was, I, I did have the thought, like, who can't swim? Right. Like, it, it's a thing. Yeah. In it's, what world it's can rare. someone not swim? It's rare, but that's the reaction, right? You're at the pool, you're at the beach, and yeah. it's like that one guy. Everyone's jumping in. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful life. The, the basketball court just split open. Everyone's jumping. Like one guy's like, I can't swim. Can't swim. I don't know how. Yeah, guys, did he die? We like, did know. he try to jump and like, did, like, are they? Because I mean, I guess a little. Uh, let's skip ahead. The end. We see Melshi and Andor running off just together alone. Like, are we gonna see what happened to him, or is it is that, it's just mystery? I assume, and I could be wrong. Maybe it'll be up for interpretation. I assume next episode or in the finale, we get back to Andy Circus of like him turning around. And going and do and going and like dying or trying to kill them or or something, trying to mess mm. something up, maybe trying to like help out his brethren that are escaping in some way. Like what what other you know chaos can he wreak in in, in this time of his being alive? Him being alive because at that point, like their mindset was the entire episode, we're all dead. Just right. amp that up a little bit and just go do just go mess it up. Right. Like tr- go try to do something to help his guys out. That's my assumption. And that'll be my headcanon if we never hear back from him. Right. It's 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 an amazing thing, especially. And, you know, we can get into our next piece of good popcorn, which is just the performances across the board. We talked oh. about Andy Circus a lot. His chemistry with Diego Luga, of course. Um, we talked about the speech and how great of a speech it was. Um, and, you know, we don't have to dive into every single line. But when you take the speech and and or coaching him through the speech, like really needing to push this guy to get comfortable with this real quick or be okay with being uncomfortable with this real quick. Like like that push through to Andy Serkis for him to deliver the speech the way he does, we're not getting out. This is it. It's here or die. And we even have that one line where the guy in the crew who's a little panicky about it, he's like, I'm dead anyway. What's going on? And then two seconds later, he's criticizing the plan. And then another guy looks right at him and goes, you're dead anyway. I thought, what What do you care? You know, right. What's the point? What's the point of caring if you're not going to help? And like that tone carried so far through into the Andy Circus speech where Andor has to push him through all the way to, you know, I just said I was waiting for something to go wrong. The thing that went wrong was the guy couldn't make it out. And, and it happened so quick. And what a cool decision to have Andor look at him, realize what's going on, and then get pushed off because that's the episode. Keep going. Keep going, keep pushing through, or else we're not going to make it. Funnel. He gets to yeah. he and he hits shore um, after the swim. What's he doing? Keep going, and it's just it, they they did such a good job keeping that through, and it somehow made the can't swim moment hit even harder. The fact that we blew right past it because that was the plan to just right. keep going, and I thought that was really awesome. Andy Circus, just go ahead. I was just going to continue on here with like performances because we have Andy Circus. I just cannot resist to shout out my guy, Diego Luna, one more time because amazing. I've been saying it since day one. I love his performances. I think he's a great actor. And what I think what he's doing in this ep- in this series, I should say, in this show, I can't wait for the end of the season, season two. And it's the writing of the character, but I, I genuinely believe it's also the performances. Is that he is making Andor, in my mind, one of those characters one of those key Star Wars characters. And that's what Lucasfilm and Disney wants, right? They want to make characters 
that become like, oh my gosh, we care so deeply about you. I care so much about Andor that when we get through seasons one and two and you go watch Rogue One, it's going to be so different. It's going to hit so much different because you've been through so much with him and Diego Luna in the character. It's awesome that this is a prequel because you got to kind of like, you know, get a taste of the character. And now he's been able to dig so deep into it. And he's just phenomenal throughout. I, I They nailed it so much. And it's hard for me to look back and how critical I was of like, oh, this Andor show, whatever. Because it's, I completely flipped around. It's 180. I'm like, I the character means so much to me. And Diego Luna as Andor is like 10 out of 10 perfect. And I just want more of it. Yeah, I mean, just going off that, Diego Luna's performance in this episode and then Andy Serkis's speech in the overall prison break. It proves why Andor isn't a Luke Skywalker. He's not a Princess Leia. You see it in Rogue One and you see it in the series. He isn't going to give some huge inspirational speech, but he's a spark that will inspire people to be that person. He did it with Jin in Rogue One. He did it with Andy Serkis here. He's the one that's going to put things in motion. And you see... What I love about the show is that you see his forging of becoming a true rebel and behind the scenes leader. He will do the dirty work and he's because he doesn't need to be that. He like you said, Matt, he's just going to be the guy to keep moving forward and do what needs to be done, um, which I think is a nice parallel to Luthen, by the way. Um, but yeah, this the whole Andy Serkis's speech, I, I think he's one of the most underrated actors of the 21st century so far. I mean, like I like. Does he get enough credit for Gollum slash Smeagol or, um, oh my God, Caesar in Planet Caesar. of the Apes? Yeah. I don't think so. He brings so much to those. And that's just all highlighted here. You see every emotion on his face at all times. Yeah. And just to go off that, like, I, I'm not a Lord of the Rings guy. So, like, I know he plays Gollum and I've seen those scenes. And I get it. My precious, all that stuff. Um, he's incredible as Caesar. What a great series of movies, right? And him as Claw in Black Panther. Oh, magnificently yeah. awesome you know like he's more funny than he is good but man is he good at being funny you know something like that yeah. and then you know he was in he was in the batman too so you know that's that's another thing he did this year that he, i thought he was very good in but like i was very underwhelmed with alfred in the batman this is the best performance i've ever seen andy circus give and it's on a disney plus show at 5 a.m at my house like <laughs> like it's just it's such a testament to what these longer seasons and little quick arcs can provide when you can get somebody like a circus to come in, do his business for a couple episodes and then dip out. Um, I think we saw that a little bit with She-Hulk with Bruce coming back. Like, like these longer seasons allow for some more impactful acting performances that don't have a chance to kind of run dry or get old, um, which is a very exciting thing. Um, but what I, I think is pretty incredible is that Andy Serkis's speech is the second best speech in this episode. Like that's that's insane to think about. But Skarsgård, guys. Oh. And I mean oh, what I mean that was that was terrifying. It I'm was, terrified of this human. It was just shockingly look at David. <laughs> it was just shockingly tantalizing. I just I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. I I couldn't believe that there's this this scene there's nothing going on absolutely nothing there's minimal shots they're both beautiful right the close-up of the spy who the hell is that guy jack i what he's gonna tell you his name he's the first guy to get sick in uh chernobyl there we go he'll have so seen we, that show 
also starring uh, Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Yeah. This back and forth conversation. I'm like, why am I glued to the television right now? This this should be the part where I'm checking Twitter, right? This should yes. be where I'm looking down yes. at my phone, and I am yes. not. I am locked in Castell and Skarsgård, and I believe. I'm curious what you guys think of this. I think that he is going to play a massive role in season two. I think what our concerns are, Matt, of like the, the check-in, the check-in, yes. it's, it's setting up something greater. It's going to be more, he's going to be more hands-on. And based on that speech, you can tell how invested he is truly into this rebellion and not not the Princess Leia side of it, you know, the, the, the dark side the of hope. the rebellion, right? What's that? Yeah, the hope. Right, like, like like hope takes on such a different perspective in the Luthan character. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm glad you shouted this out. Like, I think what's interesting about this show or th- this uh, episode specifically is we really get two check-ins. Mon Mothma, we get we get that whole scene, and she's excellent, um, incredible. And then, like, obviously with Luthan, it it's funny how this show works, where they it's re- there's a lot of repetition in that sense. We have like the main A plot, and then like every plot below that is always seemingly like a tier or two below like we just get little check-ins we get we get little moments right um but i think this is where it felt like a real heat check in those mm-hmm. scenes like just a twit turn and i want to ask jack about it with mon mothma like another scene where if the acting is bad and the script is bad boring as all hell in the prequels yeah. that scene would have sucked that scene would have been terrible that scene is the majority of the prequels, but with bad yes. acting and bad writing. And that's what's that's what's so frustrating, especially it's on Coruscant, like all Dude, of it. It's the a out, dunk, man. Outfits, it is. <laughs> that's what's so frustrating about this is that like, wow, what what the prequels could have been or like what the idea there was. This is the this is the politics. This is the real politics. Yes. It's Game of Thrones. It's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) this dude is trying to get his kid to be married to her kid. What? Star Wars? What is this? Jack, what'd you think of that scene? Oh man, Um, it's so funny. David, I don't know if I put this in our Reckless Rebellion group chat or if I just sent it to Nathan Johnson, friend of the show, love him. I sent it to somebody and I said, I really wish Tony Gilroy present day Tony Gilroy could have taken a stab at those prequel scripts and taken all of George Lucas's great grand ideas and political ideas and themes and just worked them into something like this because it has all the potential in the world. And we're seeing that potential pay off in this show in just a little bit of a different context. This scene was incredible. And guys, multi-layered acting from everybody. I don't know who played Davo Skolden, I think his name is. He was great. He looks oh, like like he he I've seen that guy a gazillion times in other places in other shows and other movies. But like like the levels he's acting on and just like the smugness and also like they're basically saying fuck you so many times without saying fuck you. And that, like, that's what I love about it. And Mon yeah. Mothma being so direct Politics. and also the emotion on her face when she realizes what he's proposing and also the realization that, shit, she might have to do this as much as she doesn't want to. And it, again, highlights the sacrifices these people have to make for the rebellion and basically have to, she's going to have to treat her family, her daughter, like a chess piece. And yes, it's very Game of Thrones in that way. And it's horrific to think about i mean at least in our world it's like what the hell's wrong with you people but you got to do what you got to do 
Um, and yeah, yeah I just want to go back to Luthen's speech real quick. What the thing that stuck no, out no, to no, me? Go ahead. Okay, okay. The thing that stuck out to me is when he says a sunrise I'll never see. Like I'm doing all this for a sunrise I'll never see. Essentially, guys, how does Andor die? The horizon is literally getting destroyed in front of him, yeah. and it's it's it, it's honestly like the most epic sunrise ever, if you will. <laughs> it's like like good night to that planet or from a planet killer. And I just think that's incredible. And I really wonder if season two is going to be all about Luthen being Andor's mentor, like through and through. I don't know if he will be, but I see a lot of similarities to the way Andor is closed off in the beginning of Rogue One. He's shut down all his doors. He's doing the dirty work. He's being that spy who's who's got to kill one of his friends or one of his coworkers, if you will, just to keep a secret and to escape. Like I, this speech, it's it's Emmy worthy. I hope he gets nominated for this alone. And we again, guys, we still have two episodes left. Matt, you pointed that out earlier. It's crazy. And he had a great scene partner uh, with the ISB guy. Um, by the way, Matt, that was the spoiler I saw um, that I mentioned last week that the ISB guy was a spy for oh, Luthen for, sure. for the mm. rebellion. And mm. if you go back and rewatch like the last two episodes, you see the seeds being planted with the way he asks questions, the way he's moving his eyes really? and watching everybody trying to take an information you can see it and it makes me think man this is gonna hit so hard on a rewatch yeah Yeah, so that like if i was going to come up with bad popcorn it was going to be that that the first turncoat we really see in this entire series which is something that we've kind of not been expecting but it would make sense for somebody to be a plant um yeah the the only plant we've seen was introduced as a spy first you know what i mean so when were we going to see the other side of it my only bad popcorn I had for this episode was we never really got to see that guy or like under, but you saying that I want to go back and rewatch and see what questions he's asking. Cause that's what this show really kind of is, right? Just background questioning, like, like kn- knowing that guy's a rebel looking back at certain questions he's asking, I'm sure it just hits so hard. One, one incredible thing real quick. The guy who plays Davo is uh, Richard Delane, who is the acting commissioner in the dark Knight. Oh, oh shit! Is it really? Yes. Yeah, at the end when uh, Gordon dies, he's the acting commissioner. Wow, he, well, he, he looks straight out of in this show. In this show, he looks straight out of Hunger Games. It's like hairstyle and stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hunger Games vibes all over Coruscant, dude. Yeah, like it, that's heavy. Shout Which out to people. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, moving on from the performances, which were just incredible, and and you know, really carried this episode. I just want to real quick, you know, before we, you know, get into what we think is going to happen next week, the tone of this show, obviously, like I'm not, I'm not breaking anybody's minds by saying the tone is the star of this show. Um, but I just want to shout out how in love I have fallen in with the storytelling um, that they've applied here and how it just adds to the suspense through simple progression of one thing at a time. Like, like just simple prison break progression over these last three episodes, the way they set things up, the floor being hot, like that was that they set that up so well to be such an X factor in this prison break. The um, just the, the, the way that they're in their cells, never talking to each other. And then they finally talk to each other. And that's how this all goes down. Yeah. The, the way that they've set up, you know, whatever we're building here must be important. You know, like it must be. It's a Death Star, of course. I was going to say, dude. It was a good call, David. At it. Death Star. <laughs> they but, hinted at it. But like like the way that Diego Luga just kind of calls everything for what it is and looks at Andy Serkis and just says, 
why wouldn't they be scared? Like, like they should be scared. And we got him on the ropes to see him motivate through just the most simple things that we've gotten to know over these past couple episodes is incredible. And you take that concept, you take that idea of these past three episodes, um, power doesn't panic. Excellent quote, Jack. Um, like, like to take, you know, the three episodes we just got and how good that story was. And then you add on the Aldani attack. You add on the first three episodes where he killed two guards and had to go on the run. That filler episode, which just dominated everything. Like, like the show has provided pockets of greatness over and over and over. I cannot wait to see these last two episodes and how they just wrap everything up. And the reason I'm confident they're going to is because they've done it three times already. And I think like, that's such a testament to what the show can be. And, you know, one last thing that the show does so well that I can't wait to see moving forward. Seeing and or get arrested is such an important piece of this episode. And, you know, that sounds weird, but we saw how little and or had to do to get locked in prison forever. That makes you cheer for the prison break. You know what I mean? Like, like it gives you that. Uh, I don't remember who touched on it, but like the fact that you get to cheer and care for these prisoners, that's something you don't always get. And like just the simple things that they do to set up and pay off in every episode, every three episode arc, and then throughout the season, we are intact for an incredible finale. And what I can't wait for most is going back through the best moments of this season, because I feel like we're forgetting a lot. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, Mira wasn't in this episode very much. She's my favorite character on the show. So, like, just to see all the little things come together these last two, I can't wait. David, what are you looking forward to next week? Well, we have a our final kind of, like, two-episode set, right? We've been kind of, I've been breaking down as we've gone along this. Which I will say, this does not feel to me, maybe it's because they dropped the first three at once, like a long, drawn-out 12 episodes. Like, uh-huh. there's meat on the bone of every episode. And that, to me, proves that this was always... Sh- supposed to be a show there is so much like great information storytelling to be told here and i don't think that's all always the case with disney plus shows marvel star wars whatever i do think sometimes they do stretch it out for the sake of stretching it out and making it a show this there's such a great plan right they have a plan for season one season two and it's all just coming together so well so heading into the final two right we've got two new well, Tony Gilroy is now back as a writer for the last two, uh, like where he has sole writing credit. Obviously, he's like the showrunner, so he's in tar- charge of everything, essentially. But um, Tony Gilroy is the sole writer for the next two. Um, Benjamin Caron is going to be the uh, director. And Benjamin has only directed seven, which was um, the announcement the episode. The in-between, yeah. Yes, the in-between. The Miro episode. Fuck. Right. that episode so he's back rounding out the last two of the season i cannot wait um i do honestly and what's funny you mentioned this earlier matt i was going to touch on it again you're like oh there's been so many payoffs to in this show so far i'm a little i kind of want to maybe dial back your expectations a bit where i could see a payoff maybe not quite being there in episode 12 and maybe it's more of a setup for season two Right, like a bit of a cliffhanger because we know what the plan is. <laughs> exactly. No, I think it'll yeah. be the execution. I think we're all very confident will be great. But I think that this episode, number 10, might have been the last 
end of an arc episode because the next two it is only two more episodes it's not like one of those three episode arcs we've seen i could see where they get to a certain point they push the plot up until like the end of the line season two come back Mm -hmm. next time right um so that's what i'm that's my expectation personally i don't think their plan is to make any kind of like put a bow on this maybe someone dies i think there's going to be a few smaller bows but not a big one right and you know WandaVision guy, admittedly, like that being a contained nine episodes where like there was no plan for a season two. I think that kind of fixates in a lot of people's brains, not just WandaVision, but a lot of Disney Plus shows. It kind of fixates like, you know, it needs to have some sort of finality to it. But you look right. at Loki, you look at House of the Dragon, those season two moments, you know, the, you know, Renary is looking at the camera. Loki will return in season two, like like all that stuff. Like those are some of the hardest hitting moments of the finale. So I'm excited to see that. One thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned there, how you know it's it's it it feels like everything is with a purpose. It's no wasted motion in this show. Every every line of dialogue, every character interaction, everything adds to it in some way. And they're not afraid to add to the story in small ways. There aren't a way to add little trinkets. Like you mentioned that that spy that I didn't even realize. And I review this show every week. Um, you know, this it, the no wasted motion effort that they have here. It's it, it makes every episode as good as the arcs that they are in. And and like I said, retroactively makes other episodes better as we go along. Jack, you're the Clone Wars expert. These these seasons um, from Star Wars, I'm not saying it's one to one. You know, they're not doing exactly the Clone Wars formula, which I've only seen four seasons, but there is a formula with Clone Wars. I think that's very okay to say Um, they're taking from it, you know, with the arcs and then also just like the different interactions between different characters and like talking about something that's happening in the last episode. But it's two characters that weren't even in the last episode, that kind of stuff. Knowing what you know about Clone Wars and kind of how these things go. Where do you see these last two episodes kind of pairing together and also looking back on the season as we get to the finale? Well, it, I think what let I me, expect... Let me just revise that question really quick. Yeah, Are we getting ahead. a penultimate finale situation like Thrones where the penultimate's better and the finale is more of a, 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 a what an epilogue? Kind set of up thing? yeah yeah mm. or is it going to be a little bit more like clone wars where it is just pushing the narrative uh you know through both that's a great question i would expect <laughs> i would expect i kind of expect this the the finale specifically to act as an epilogue and a prologue sure. which which i do kind of think the house of the dragon finale did that as well um, because, you know, as you said, epilogue, but there was also, of course, setting up the the Dance of the Dragons. Um, because what we've seen so far in these different arcs is these small rebellions. And it's not the overarching rebellion right. that we know and love. It's these small rebellions that some in some cases, like the prisoners, like it has nothing to do with the actual rebellion that, you know, that we see in A New Hope. Like that, that's just a uprising, a rebellion um, in that prison. And I think we will get some closure to some of those, but I do expect in the finale, well, I guess maybe in the final two episodes, I do think Marva is a goner. Uh, I think there there was a quick yes. little, they mm, went back call. to uh, we her for a hot beat. Yeah, yeah, and she's not doing well. And I think her death, and then at some point, he's going to pull out that manifesto from Nemec. And those two things are going to th- be Very the thing good. to push him <laughs> over the edge to then set up like, hey, th- this is where he's going for season two. He's a rebel. 
And I just, I, I, I have this thing in my head, like season two is all the different arcs are going to be him on different missions for the actual rebellion. But I mean, in terms of a cliffhanger, I mean, like House of the Dragon, that's a fucking cliffhanger, the way that ended. In this show, I don't know exactly what that would be. The thing, I'm not, I can't say I'm worried about it because I have full faith in this show. But the thing I'm very, I guess, interested to see is how they wrap up Cyril Karn's arc in this season. We didn't mm-hmm. even see him in this episode. And right. I'm like, what, what, what path is he on? There's so, like, this show, like, every week I feel like, I got everything I could have wanted, but like, I just have no idea what comes next, but like, I'm here for the ride. Um, and with Cyril specifically, I like, is it going to end with him finally teaming up with Dedra? And like, th- like that's going to be setting up all our chess pieces for season two. I, I really don't know, but um, I'm, I'm really just excited for him to pull out that manifesto. I've been waiting since, since uh, Val gave it to him. That's a big opportunity to suck. You know that, right? Like I know, like, I know it does. But well, like, can I say one thing about that? Matt? Very quickly. <laughs> can I say one thing about that? It could be cheesy and it could be very cliche, but one of my favorite parts about this episode was the fact that there were moments that could have been cliche, but they're not because of how real everything feels. And because I really believe like these are real people dealing with these situations. Because I mean, like, let's face it, this has happened in our world's history. And, and in some ways, in many ways, it continues now. So I, I feel like like that speech from Kino could have been cheesy. Like it's it's similar to a Star Wars Rebel speech where it was a little cheesy, but I mean, it is animated and it's for kids. Um, so I do have faith that Tony Gilroy can make that moment work without it being like, okay, of course, like shocker, like he's right. reading the manifesto and he's going into it. Right. And, you know, just some traps looking forward that they could fall into uh, with Karn. Um, specifically is, you know, there are a decent amount of, you know, plot lines that do need to at least be touched on before this show ends. Um, it, it's I don't think that there's an opportunity for these things to feel rushed just because like this show has committed so much to the slow build. Um, I don't I don't think there's a chance that anything gets rushed. They can feel tacked on though, which is something that me and David have talked about with Luthen. And, you know, so just yeah. avoiding that, I think, is going to be the biggest challenge. But with Tony Gilroy writing the last two, I think he probably has that in mind, knowing, you know, knowing this universe as well as he does. And just one last thing before we head out, I think that motivation is one of the hardest things to do as a writer. And between um, uh, oh, Nimic and Andy Circus and Marva, I think Andor's motivations are extremely strong and to see those manifest with Luthen, I think is going to be a really cool thing to yeah. see. And I just can't wait to see those two interact again, really, because they've been the two sides of this coin, somebody who lives his life for the rebellion and someone who's just trying to live his life, but inadvertently is impacting the rebellion. Those two come together is going to be amazing. Jack, thank you so much for hopping on with us. Make sure to check out Reckless Rebellion with Jack and David talking about the galaxy far, far away. We'll see you guys next week for episode 11. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in, welcome on, and welcome to another edition of the infamous Direct Draft, where we draft things from the universe's you love today in honor of black panther wakanda forever we are going to exercise an experiment that this movie tragically is exercising itself what happens when you take the main character out of a movie which movie has the best supporting cast in the mcu and david to perform this exercise to do this draft and i 
I assume, start some major battles on Twitter. Um, <laughs> we had to bring in our guys. We had to bring in the agents of fandom squad, Mr. TJ Schwartz and Garrett. Blaney, TJ, we'll start with you. How are we living large up north? We're living large. We're living very, very cold. It is a brisk minus five Fahrenheit outside Fuck. right now. It's been snowing <laughs> for five straight days. That is so but let cold. me tell you, we warm ourselves with the universal health care and uh, all the <laughs> other great things we have over here in Canada. This feels pretty damn cool, if I'm being honest. When the pandemic began, I needed to pass the time. I started looking for some podcasts, and Phase Zero, the Direct Podcast, and the Ringerverse were the three that became weekly staples every single uh, week for me. And uh, listened to Matt and Liam so many times. It's been continued so wonderfully with David. We've had Liam on our pod. We've had Matt on our pod. We're going to get David on in the future. It is a thrill to be on here for the first time, and I am ready to take you guys down. You wore my heart, you cocky son of a bitch. Every single time. Every single time. You know, you you, you bring it back, and I'm always excited to see you just as much as I'm excited to see my boy, the real slim, Blaney Garrett, how we be. Dude, it is a it is such a pleasure, and it's hard to follow up uh, Universal Healthcare, so... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The U.S. government's been saying that for a long time. It's hard to follow up. You know what I mean? Batman yeah. isn't always a good thing in the lineup. Um, but here we are, guys. We're going to draft the best supporting cast in the MCU. Um, so basically, you take out the main characters. What's left? Villains, love interests, supporting characters, sidekicks, um, the Jimmy Woo's of the world, all those different characters. We're going to find the best supporting cast out of the 29 eligible MCU projects I have here. And the reason it's 29 is because a couple things and, you know, rules in a draft always make it more fun, right? Super engaging on social and all that stuff. Um, we are taking out team movies. So no Avengers. No Guardians, no Eternals, because, you know, you take those team casts, the supporting cast is the, you know, eighth, ninth build character on the poster. And we're also adding Captain America Civil War. We all know why the Avengers 2.5 joke, even though it is an excellent addition to the Captain America trilogy. Um, so we have 29 movies and shows. You take out the title character who is left. And I think the best thing we can do right now is get going on our system. We did a random list generator and i did land with the number one pick i guess i just got it like that um it just know, happens it's, it's something i take pride in you know just some, somehow some way in. yeah yeah <laughs> off the count um so here we go i'm gonna i'm gonna kick us off guys here it is and i think i feel when i when i went into this there are a couple ways to look at all these movies in my opinion and the first thing i looked at is which movies have the main character as the weakest part of the movie there's not a ton in the mcu they do very well with characters but that was my first thing and then i just looked at you know where's the firepower in those secondary characters and there are three or four projects that rose to the top of my list but i couldn't get off just one of them you look at the poster and it's just everybody you love all in one beautiful colorful cosmic chaos it is thor ragnarok guys i mean think when you think about the kind of characters you get with Thor Ragnarok outside of the God of Thunder. Of course, we're going to grab Loki in this one. I got a Loki on my team. It was very important to me. There isn't as much Loki opportunity as if we included the Avengers movie. So I think that's a big thing. 
the Hulk, easy pick. You know, we get a second Avenger in there, all that stuff. Then you think of the characters we meet in that movie. Valkyrie, Korg, Meek, the Grandmaster, all of those different characters on Sakaar and then back on Asgard with Hela. I forgot Kate Blanchett was on my team now, but that's a really awesome thing. It's just it introduces a bunch of characters. It brings back characters we love and it reinvigorizes the Thor franchise. So I'm taking Thor Ragnarok off the board 101. Garrett, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think of that pick? I think that's a great pick. Uh, super happy with it personally because that was on a li- on a short list of mine. However, um, the number one to me personally Second is... Pick is well the second pick but but i think the best movie the best supporting cast is black panther one and i love that that uh we're doing this on on a so close to black panther wakanda forever but you you i haven't seen it yet so so far you cannot top uh the supporting cast of black panther you got michael b jordan uh lupita nyong'o denai guerrera martin freeman daniel kaluuya Letitia Wright, Winston Duke. Oh my gosh, I can keep going. Sterling K. Brown, Angela Bassett, Sterling K. Brown, Andy Serkis, Forrest Whitaker. That's just so many names to list uh, in in an incredible film that that it 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 means so much to so many people. Um, So I, I, I feel so confidently with picking this number one. I'm so happy that you left it up there for me. Yeah, no, and and uh, Black Panther was the inspiration for this draft, obviously. I've touted it as the best supporting cast in the MCU, but for this draft specifically, I wanted the firepower of Ragnarok. It's a great pick, and a quick little spoiler for you guys. They come back and they hold up. Um, David, you're going to pick next with TJ. I want to hear what your thoughts are on the Black Panther pick with Wakanda Forever just two days away. Great pick. I mean, Ragnarok and Black Panther, those first two off the board, wow. I, it's hard to go wrong with either of those. Definitely like first-round picks through and through. Um, I between those two, I don't know, right? Like, I, I like how it went one and two because it's kind of a toss up. I do like how both franchises, even mainly Ragnarok or both movies, I should say, kind of mix OG MCU characters with new characters. Mm-hmm. Same kind of with Black Panther, a little bit to say more new characters because it is kind of a new universe, Wakanda, right? Mm-hmm. But I think both do a great job of kind of like mixing and matching and. It's funny you guys both said, or not both of you, but Matt, you started off with like, you tried to think about you know, movies that had like uh, lesser than protagonists in a sense. And I know it's sure. not where you ended up, right? And that may, maybe you're thinking we'll go there later in today's draft. Mm-hmm. But it's funny how I think both those leading characters that aren't even a part of this draft are awesome too. So yeah. I think what's smart in this draft so far is just drafting great movies. Absolutely. And, and and that's going to be a big part of it, too, is like, you know, do some of the lesser movies rise to the top here before we move on to David's big TJ with Black Panther coming out later this week. I want to hear what your thoughts on the supporting cast from 2018's Black Panther. 47 hours away from my first viewing of Black yeah. Panther as we record this. I am so, so freaking excited. Like every time I watch the trailer, I tear up every single time still. I can't wait for it. To me, uh, Ragnarok and Black Panther were my first two on my list. So from a draft standpoint, great work. You guys did uh, You did what you're supposed to do at the top of the board. And uh, I'm just so excited for this movie in a couple days, man. Like, mm-hmm. I'm. this is the first one since Eternals that I'm going in with, like, I'm expecting nothing. I'm just going to 
enjoy the spectacle. Sure. And I feel like that really helped. And for obviously two totally different reasons, but uh, every other one, I kind of go, I was almost going in with a bit of an agenda. Like, I hope this happens. I hope this happens. I hope I get this. For this one, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the masterpiece that Ryan Coogler gives us. And I'm uh, I'm thrilled for what's about to unfold. Absolutely. I think if any franchise is going to carry on without their main character, it is the Black Panther franchise. Um, David, we're still in the first round. The third pick of the draft. I mean, this is chalk, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I Here's the thing. We, at the be- very beginning, talked about team-up movies and how they're sure. off the board. This one wasn't mentioned. I don't think it counts. It doesn't. It's Spider-Man No Way Home, baby. Of course it is. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Would have been my first overall pick. No doubt about it. It's on a tier of its own, in my opinion. So at the third pick, I think this is just home run every time. Obviously, just the fact that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield count <laughs> as supporting characters in this, sure. money. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, we have Doctor Strange, right? We have Cumberbatch in there. We have Zendaya. We have John Favreau. We have Alfred Molina. <laughs> you know, we have Willem Dafoe. I, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. I love that I got this pick at three. I understand the first two, and I think these three are all great examples of supporting cast. Another example, pick the great movie where the protagonist is still awesome, right? Where the lead character is still awesome, but the movie is great because everything works so well. Oh, forgot to mention Jamie Foxx in there as well. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Third overall pick. <laughs> well, I mean, you left out the only Oscar winner of the entire cast. Oh, great. Huh? Marissa Marissa Tomei. Tomei. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> you get Aunt May. Uh, yeah, I mean, those were the first three picks for me as well. I think it's a good one. Garrett, what do we think of No Way Home here in the third spot? Uh, that, that definitely was on my top list. I think I think. All three picks are fantastic, and I'm really looking at TJ to close out the first round strong for all of us because mm-hmm. uh, I think none of us can be disappointed with our with our picks. Absolutely. I think that No Way Home lacks – one thing it lacks that the other movies don't is a little bit of motivation maybe from the villain characters. Obviously, Hellas isn't the best in the world, but, you know, with with – four or five villains you know they're more of a group instead of one character but still it's a volume play and i think i think it definitely works and it's worth a top three pick any of these could have been number one i was gonna say even to critique it even further is that the thing that would hold would have held me back i would have picked the number one overall because it's spider-man but what would have held me back is that unlike ragnarok and black panther and some other picks we're gonna have today there's no real the supporting cast isn't future set set up sure. right it's very like it's all about nostalgia in the past which is its own special thing but there's a little bit of that kind of like investment when you think about a draft where it's like where am i am i buying potential or am i buying someone that's gonna retire in two years so i guess that's a little something that crossed my mind too absolutely we got a movie that introduces new characters a movie that brings characters back and a movie full of nostalgia like david just pointed tj where are you heading to end out our first round I swear this analogy just works really well and I'm not trying to put a dagger in anyone's heart or anything like that. But in the first round, you you pick a good movie, you're, you're a great movie, a top tier movie, and you're not going to go wrong. It's picking one of the top tier backs in the first round. You're getting Christian McCaffrey. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes Jonathan Taylor, you pick That's him good. one overall and it just doesn't go well for you. That happened to me in a, in a best ball league this year, and I was sad about it. But you know what? It, it is happens what to it me is. and David every single week. <laughs> next and next year, you know what? 
I'm going to do the same thing. It might not be Jonathan Taylor, but if I got the number one pick and there's a top back on the board, it's just tough not to go there. So I'm going to go with that for my first pick. And, you know, I was worried about the specific wording of some of uh, some of the rules when Matt said, you know, like if you just take out the titular character, Mm -hmm. then uh, what what would we be left with? But then David kind of made me feel like, you know what, we're good because he picked Spider-Man No Way Home. And if we're including Andy and Toby as uh, that Spider-Man, you know, and that's an supporting cast. And I assume I can have my guy Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier count as supporting Mm -hmm. cast in Captain America. Yes. The Winter Soldier. Great call. When a movie is so good that without being an ensemble or a big event, it's still widely considered to be the top or one of the very top Marvel movies ever created. And all, and it's spun out its own, it's spun out its own uh, TV show just mm-hmm. based on the characters in this show, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, eventually becoming Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So we got Sebastian Stan reprising his role in a totally new way. Super dark, super amazing. If you weren't a comic book fan, it just blew people's minds away in the theaters. And if you were a comic book fan, the Arnim Zola and Nick Fury Hydra twist is one of the greatest things that we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that was on the heels of just a terrific cast. It's an ensemble without being an ensemble. We got Falcon, Sam Wilson. We got Bucky Barnes. We got Natasha Romanoff. We got Nick Fury. We got... uh, I was just about to say uh, Robin uh, Sherbatsky. Um, yes. We got Maria Hill. Um, Colby Smolders. There it is. Uh, Robin Robin Sherbatsky. <laughs> exactly. Just a truly incredible cast that has been a huge staple in the MCU ever since that show happened. It's uh, it's my first round pick, and I'm going uh, Cap- Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I love the pick. Um, you know, full disclosure... Four of my top five are gone. This is the first one not taken in order for me on the list. So um, I but I still think this is a first tier pick, first round pick for sure. And um, I think what's really awesome about this, like you said, is the spinoff potential, not just from Falcon Winter Soldier, but Natasha goes on to have, you know, top five MCU career, um, you know, being mostly a supporting character. Um, So I think that this one really bred. It's it's the number one pick I have in phase two. Not to uh, tip my hand too much, but I think that it, it's an excellent pick in the middle of the MCU, and I really enjoy that from you, Garrett. What do we think of the Winter Soldier coming here, closing out the first round before TJ makes his snake pick? I mean, we all love the Winter Soldier. I think if you ask like any hardcore MCU fan, it's certainly top 10, and I think most of the time you'll find it in the top five. Sure. Um, so you can't go wrong with this pick. Almost in any draft i love the supporting cast i um i watched agents of shield at the time so that led like directly into the movie as well which was which was super cool yeah it was great um and i remember i remember the thrill that i had sitting out in that theater and it was like no other superhero superhero movie that i'd ever sat through before so i am a huge fan of that uh i think that was my fourth so um that was my top four have been picked Love that. You can't you can't really do better than that. So uh, well done, boys. Absolutely. And and I, I do think this is where it drops off a little bit. Like I have I have a sneaky one ranked a little bit above that. But I think overall, this is where the teardrop comes This is where it gets a little more interesting to dive into. And TJ, you get to kick us off here in the second round on the snake. 
this is where things get difficult for me. And I think as we go, especially once we get to the last round, it'll be a little less just going for the top movie and more we're looking for upside later in the round drafts. And so where I'm struggling in this starting off the second round is I got three second round picks that I really wanted. And being the first in the snake, I now have to choose between those three, Whether where I was kind of just hoping one of them would fall in my lap. So there's one that my heart feels like is the answer. There's one that's calculated in terms of amount of people. My brain is telling me the answer. And analytics. I'm going to go with the, the analytics are saying it's the pick. But you know what? I think I'm just going to go with the young up-and-comer that is going to be a staple in the MCU uh, for years to come. And I'm going to go with Shang-Chi and the Legend Ooh. of the Ten Rings. There it is. We have Aquafina, some phenomenal uh, comedic relief. Tony Leung just storming into the MCU, becoming one of the best uh, antagonists we have ever seen. Spider-Man No Way Home has my favorite actor in the entire world, Andrew Garfield. But there's another uh, actor who is in my top three favorite actors ever to walk this planet. And that's Michelle Yeoh. And just seeing her in this film, uh, she was so incredible. And I hope we get more of her. Manger Zhang, of course, we're going to get more of in the uh, Ten Ring spinoff. We're eventually getting on Disney+. Plus. We even get some. We even get some Carol, some Bruce, some uh, Wong in the in the post credit scenes. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings because it was such an incredible film, and the cast made it what it was, and it even gave us somebody that a lot of people felt like was one of the worst supporting characters, depending on your taste, and that's Trevor Slattery, Ben Kingsley in Iron Man Three. And made him one of the most lovable, great character twists, comedic relief options we've seen in an MCU movie, as well as our pal Morris. So I'm going to have to go with Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that last point with uh, Slattery. Uh, David, you know, you know, before you make your pick, what do we think of Shang-Chi? In my opinion, the first villain-driven pick, the one where the villain really rises this supporting cast up more than any other character. Yeah, uh, I'm totally with you. And... I think it was a great pick. Like I, I agree where the top four was chalk. And then I was very interested to see. I didn't shout out before the pick was made, but I was very interested to see at this turn where things go. Cause I think it's very open. Like I, you could go anywhere. Um, and Shang-Chi is a great place to go, especially I think in recent memory for like a new project phase four, to me, it feels like the best movie they've done. of really like giving us an enriching, not only environment, right. With the kind of the pocket universe, but also an enriching amount of characters kind of dive into, right? Where we can see a Disney Plus show being spun off. We can see another full sequel, a full trilogy someday with these characters. So yeah, great pick. I love it. Very Black Panther-esque with Shang-Chi, I think, with uh, introducing all these new characters in one movie. David, you are up here in the second round. You have Spider-Man No Way Home on the board. I do. I have Spider-Man No Way Home on the board. And I have Spider-Man Homecoming on the board as well. Um, (laughs) it is what it is ladies and gentlemen you know me but like I think what's funny is that for No Way Home I shouted out all of the kind of like fun exciting Andrew Garfield Tim McGuire Willem Dafoe now it's like oh wait we started with this in the MCU Spider-Man universe Zendaya as who eventually becomes MJ we've got Flash Thompson we've got Ned Leeds Jacob Batalon of course we have Robert Downey Jr. who is a I would say minorly used character, but seven just minutes comes 
in and hits every time. Like, I don't care how much they paid him. It was worth it. I love his acting. <laughs> the The scene on top of the roof, bad CGI background, don't care. Dialogue, acting, perfect between him and Tom Holland. And the big one to me, Michael Keaton in the MCU is the vulture. He yeah. is incredible. One of the best MCU villains. And this isn't a villains draft, but he obviously adds into that. And of course, Marissa Tomei, our third Aunt May on the big screen with just a whole new vibe to the character going off of Tom Holland. What the? Love it. So, Spider-Man Homecoming. Two Spider-Mans off the board so far for me. That was my uh, four spot on my list that uh, came in just above Winter Soldier. For all those reasons you mentioned that you know, we we get to meet some of the best supporting characters moving forward through the three movies we see them in. I think this is Flash's best movie. And I think that um, another one that the villain carries this beyond uh, uh, a tier that maybe it should be much like Shang-Chi. I think Keaton and uh, Win Wu, um, the actor, Tony Leung, I think they carry those two movies up. And that that was going to be my next pick. I like it, Garrett. What do we think of Homecoming in the second round before you make your second pick? I feel like this begs the question of there's so many overlapping characters in those movies. So do they like cancel each other out like a fraction? Well, so I mean, let me say it does help his No Way Home pick a little bit. It's lacking a little bit of that traditional supporting cast vibe. And I think you make up for it with Homecoming. But everybody who hates Spider-Man is not going to vote for you. <laughs> How, that's true. Who the hell hates Spider-Man? What the no one? No, exactly. that's true. We don't trust those guys. <laughs> but I will say one thing how I'm viewing it, at least so far, right? We're only two rounds in. It's like a stack in fantasy football, right? Yeah. I'm 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 assembling the bills right now. I've got Josh Allen, I've got Stefan Diggs, I've got Gabe Davis, I've got all these guys, right? Sing Singletary. You don't have Gabe Davis awesome. yet. Oh, I don't. You don't have Gabe Not Davis yet. yet. Gabe Davis is on the board, man. Gabe Davis is still on the board. I got Josh Allen. I got Diggs. That's all I know. We're going <laughs> to cut it off there. It's a, it's a pretty great stack. Yeah. yeah. Third best stack in football. <laughs> Starting off right. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Uh, Garrett, we're coming in. Second round. You got Black Panther. Where are we going next? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually a little bit surprised this is still here because uh, I think when you start to look really closely at the supporting cast, there's a shit ton of them. Um, and it was... I couldn't, I didn't know if this was fourth or fifth on my list, but uh, it turns out it's fifth because that's just the way the cookie crumbled. But I'm going to have to go with Thor, Love and Thunder. Nice. Uh, it's, I think it's distinguishing between Ragnarok and, and Love and Thunder in terms of supporting cast. They're, they're both pretty high hitting. Um, the, the ones that you substitute out in Ragnarok, you switch for Christian Bale uh in thor love and thunder the guardians of the galaxy um russell crowe so i think any matt of the big damon he's in both the, but i just had to shout out matt damon melissa mccarthy though she's yeah. she's a, a, mac was not in ragnarok that is something i don't yeah know. yeah she's an upgrade so i think the <laughs> the substitutes that you switch out i think they all carry the same weight for the most part um although it's not as good of a movie uh its supporting cast is still phenomenal. If you if you really delve deep into this pick, if you really if you go on the IMDb and you re, you're like, oh shit, the uh, the Guardians were in that movie, and um, we do have Russell Crowe as a god and Cat um, Dennings and all that. It's it's uh, it's I think that's a strong pick, and I'm I'm glad I got that kind of late in in the second round. Absolutely, I am going to dock you a few points for not mentioning Natalie Portman. Um, I think, of course. I think that is something yeah uh, just of course out of her mind but um yeah i think i think for all the reasons ragnarok love and thunder is a good pick 
Um, I do think Ragnarok's a tier above that from a supporting cast standpoint, but here we are in the second round. I think it makes sense to back it up here. The thing that I think makes it a great pick too is I think there's an argument to be made that the editing and the cutting and this partial story of Love and Thunder was what held the cast back and the cast is what made it was the most enjoyable part of the film. And so I feel like that's kind of, although it doesn't have the great, perfect movie, perfect cast, here we are. It has the, well, that movie would have been a hell of a lot worse if the cast wasn't so damn good. Right. Yeah, it's no, a great I think point. It, Thanks, buddy. I think it's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, there's a couple of movies we've listed already where the cast does carry the movie more than any other aspect. Not that any other aspect's bad, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to Black Panther. I think the, the cast being as good as it is is what makes that movie as special as it is. Obviously, the story, the heart, the, the Spielbergian uh, world building we get in Black Panther, I think, is all very good. But the cast really brings it alive. And I think the same for Love and Thunder, maybe in a more carry the team kind of aspect. Uh, Greg Jennings down the sideline um, type of thing. And uh, here I am in the second round and I'm I'm looking down the barrel of a Michael Waldron stack here. And I don't mm. know if that's where I want to go, but I am going to go there at least initially. I'm going to take Loki. And this is a pick for me where I do believe that, and you know, he's our guy. I already have him on my team. I think Tom Hiddleston is the weak link in that cast. Not that he's bad, but I think that Whoa. the other characters in that cast throughout the entire show you know, make it, you know, more than what it could have been. You got Sylvie, obviously, who was a superstar in her run during Loki. I think people are forgetting about Sylvie a little bit and how much we enjoyed that character being a badass. I am a sucker for any time a woman ties her hair up as she's on her way to kick ass. Like, that's the coolest fucking thing you can do in a movie other than get the team together and lean slightly in a throne. I think tying your hair up before you kick ass is one of those things. And, um, you know, beyond Sylvie, obviously, Owen Wilson's Morbius, who is coming back, which is a very exciting thing. He was another superstar that jumped off the screen. So those two alone, I think, helped me out a lot. And then you got to add all the supplemental characters, the Timekeepers, Ravenna Renslayer, Miss Minutes, who was an icon in her time. Um, shout out Tara Bennett, the voice of Tommy Pickles. And um, obviously, guys, I got Jonathan Majors on the team. I'm the only one that will have Jonathan Majors on my team. And you guys can't take that away from me. Um, so, TJ, what do we think of Loki here closing out the second round? We got Jonathan Majors versus Michael B. Jordan in a little Creed three uh, matchup going on here. I think that's a I think that's a good pick. It's an interesting pick. Jonathan Majors is phenomenal. Owen Wilson was such a random steal for the MCU that just fit steal. that show so perfectly. Like I think that was something nobody saw coming, and he just fit that vibe of that show perfectly. With uh. Oh my gosh! I, I what classic Loki, and I can't remember. Uh, oh, uh, Hugh, no, Grant. Hugh Grant. No, no, Hugh yeah, was a different guy. Um, yeah, no, if you don't, if it was Hugh Grant, though, <laughs> that would be. He would have been a good classic Loki. You guys see him um, in that? Uh, Richard E. Grant. Um, Richard E. Grant. Thank you, Richard, Thank Richard you. E. Grant. Yeah, I got it before I even pulled it up on Google. I was pumped about that. Thanking himself. Um, I love that. Yeah, same guy. Same I, guy. I, I kind of just, I expected somebody to shout it out for me, and then I realized it was my internal monologue that shouted it out, and so that's pretty damn close to the headphones. You know what I mean? It's sometimes difficult to discern. Sometimes. Um, Richard E. Grant was just so good in that. It was phenomenal. And yeah. I believe episode five, when he does his thing, um, mm-hmm. 
So uh, yeah, solid pick. If I'm going to be honest, I had quite a few above it, but that's where we're at in the draft of personal preference comes in as well as just like what you think the people are going to be going for. There's no, there's no sure things anymore. Like we touched on. So good pick, but it wasn't one of mine. So I'm happy. They're still on the board. Good. I'm happy for you too, TJ. This is TJ's world guys. We're just living in it. And um, I am excited um, that I got Loki on the board. Um, I got two Thor franchises on my team. So I, that's not usually how I like to do these things. I like to spread out a little bit. I wanted Spider-Man homecoming there. Um, you know, looking back, had I known I could get Loki, maybe I would have gone Black Panther in the first. But um, I'm I'm in a weird spot, guys, because I got a couple on here that I don't think you guys are going to take. A couple that I know won't get any votes, but I have strong conviction for. So do I take my last heavy hitter? And I think I will with the Michael Waldron sack. I'm going to go multiverse of madness. Mm. Um, and again, and it's unfortunate, but another project where I feel like the main character, the main title character, the hero, Doctor Strange is the weak link of the movie for me personally. Like not that he was bad by any capacity. It's just, I enjoyed Wanda so much more as a villain, as a true fleshed out villain in this movie. And then you add in your Wong, you add in everything you get at Carmitage. America Chavez was um, a, a very nice addition to that movie. I think she was a plot driver more than anything, but she was a good plot driver. Um, you know, no small roles, just small people. Um, and then obviously, you know, the Illuminati for a cup of coffee, you know, we get a star studded cast with, um, you know, a Captain Marvel, a Peggy Carter. We get um, Patrick Stewart back as Xavier and then John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic. I think just that firepower there, along with Wanda being, in my opinion, the best villain of phase four. I think that um, it it just drives that up for me. And it's a last heavy hitter, I think, on the board. So I'm going to grab it here. David, what do we think? Uh, yeah, I think it's a really good pick. Um, I do think just this part in the draft, we can go almost anywhere. <laughs> like the, I'm, I'm looking right now at my list, and you know, as we're rounding this corner, as we're in round three, I have no idea where you guys are going, and I don't even know where I'm going quite yet. So <laughs> it's just interesting right now looking at down the list of like, there's been a lot. I will say, I just want to shout out really quick. The MCU's had a lot of great supporting cast because I mm-hmm. can convince myself, like you just said, you want to know if you want like heavy hitter or something you have a lot of conviction for. And it's the same idea we're all kind of, I think, battling right now where it's like, I could, I could argue for this, but does everyone else agree on that? I don't know. So yeah. I'm curious to see how this keeps playing out. Absolutely. It's, this it's uh, interesting this could have been like what this would have been a lot easier with a fourth round. I don't know if it necessarily better, but easier. I mean, hey, since I have the last pick and it's a snake, I sure. would like the fourth round because that means I would have had two rounds with the first pick instead of just one, you know? But right. uh, it's uh, there's going to be some great, great casts that uh, end up being left off the board. And I'm excited to go through those. That's kind of why I left at three rounds. I think we're, we're going to have to make some tough choices here mm-hmm. at the end because I, I do think that, you know, there's even another big cliff coming um i think after this pick but um you know i think this pick could be counted in that cliff but we will see as garrett makes his final pick yeah that's um that definitely was a pick that was on my on my board and it was coming up because a lot of the other ones are off so props to you on that pick i think that's thank you sir that's kind of like the strategy i've been going with of like um a high number of really good supporting cast uh, i think that's pretty yeah. evident with my two other picks and i think that would have really helped the theme of my team so now i'm gonna pivot 
and uh oh man i'm so unsure of this you know i i do feel there is a little cliff here and i and mm. i don't i don't want to screw up by picking the wrong thing go with your heart what does your heart say my heart is pretty torn mm. um my heart is pretty torn i'm i'm so i will tell you guys this i'm torn between a series and a movie right now mm-hmm. um and i think there's really strong arguments for both it's just is is it is there a strong argument for what round we're in but i mean yeah i mean it's tough and last pick there's only three picks left coming off the board so we you got to get what you got to get yeah so i think i'm going to go with i think i'm going to go with the show and i think i'm going to go with she hulk Nice. Um, Son of a nice. bitch. Uh, I'm so sorry, TJ. I'm so sorry. But uh, wow. there's just too much to pass up there. Um, maybe, maybe not the most critically received show that Marvel's put out. It's, uh, it was fairly divisive, but I was a pretty big fan throughout. Um, I think it, it had a mission and it completed that mission. Um, but I really enjoyed the, the cast of supporting characters here. I mean, obviously, we knew we were going to see Bruce. Um, and Emil as the abomination, but we got we got a little bit of Wong, which we loved. Uh, seeing Meg the Stallion twerk, I Meg the Sta- having Meg the Stallion on my list of ensemble cast. That's cool. honestly that's yeah, that's kind of dope. Um, and so I'm gonna rock with that. I love Pug. I thought Pug was dope. Maybe not you know like super notable compared to other people that we've had in our other picks, but just a great dude. Uh, Nikki, great great as well love her. um yeah i gosh there's so much to say though this is tough because the best part is, of the show is the main character um but we have daredevil yeah there it is we yeah, have wait, you thought i was gonna do it again <laughs> i did well i i still think you may have left some very you did very le- girl off the board i left uh you we interviewed we have an interview with patty guggenheim madison with a y and two n's but not where you think up on the agents of fandom youtube channel yeah of course she's part of the incredible uh cast yeah tough look not to mention natalie portman and madison yeah yeah that's uh i'll i'll take the l on that but (laughs) i'm glad that we did it this way because it allowed you to semi-organically uh plug your interview which is that on youtube planned. yeah yeah, yeah. we find that 90 percent <laughs> of the people who vote won't listen so you'll be good there <laughs> true <laughs> you'll be good there i i think it's a good pick i think i think that uh it's a pick that people are going to look at broadly and think "Ooh, i didn't like she hulk i don't like that pick the supporting cast does slap and the volume like you said you get so much of it and uh you even get that elf from asgard which is you know somebody somebody i know you wanted on your team I uh, needed it. Yeah, yeah. Not if, a if that one fell to me, I was going to uh, cue up the Daredevil music before my pick. Nice, nice. Would have been electric. Would have been tough. electric. Sorry, However, sorry, I'm not that good. No, no, no. <laughs> hey, you got the pick. So you you got the dub over there. Trump card goes to Garrett David. As not the biggest fan of She-Hawk, I know you love Daredevil on uh, Garrett's team. What about the rest of the supporting cast? I think it's awesome. Uh, obviously, Daredevil, like you said, is like the number one. Even just Bruce being a yeah. part of the supporting cast as well. Like I, I think. And he was such a shining moment for me in this show. I do think the, you know, the rest of the characters were good in the show. Not like great, I guess, in my mind, because She-Hulk, even now we're kind of, what, a few weeks away from watching it. It's kind of like a highlight reel in my head. It's kind of forgettable in some ways, like the story beat by beat. Um, But there are a lot of, like I said, highlights. Daredevil, um, which is obviously the main one. But yeah, good pick. Two shows off the board. And I... 
didn't have shows even on my radar for this. I'm like, ah, shows. I'm, I'm sticking okay. to the films for this one. Okay. All right. I actually had, I had like the majority of my list, like the majority of the back half of my list being shows because my mindset was sort of, they give us so much more time with the supporting characters. Like well, we get well, so much She-Hulk, time. Though. She-Hulk yeah. does kind of does the opposite. It's the one-offness of it, but that's where the volume comes in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. It's like either we get the exploration into the supporting characters or we get the large sum of great mm-hmm. supporting characters. Right. Which I think I, I think you can look at it a couple ways. It's a it's a volume. It's a PPR pick versus that touchdown guy that you want, uh, you know, for the long shot there. I like it. I like the pick. Um, David, you're up. You, you said you got only films. I'm, I'm curious to see what film you pick left. I, you have an opportunity here to really do something that you know nobody thought could be done. <laughs> we're here uh we're going we're going og we're going back to phase one not not enough phase one love these days man we're all out here taking phase four crap i i'm kidding when i say crap but we're all out here taking all the new stuff right all, all of our new toys i'm we i'm reeling it back in a little bit we're going back to 2010 we're going back to iron man 2 yep right, ladies and gentlemen iron man 2 john favreau once again on the team always here love him the favreau sweep right there right yeah. all, all favreau um don Cheadle, which i believe was an upgrade from terrence howard in that role as war machine and properly being war machine we get scarlett johansson we get black widow and that is such an amazing debut in the mco mcu and such a awesome supporting character what's funny about iron man 2 is the script sucks it's so bad the script is terrible Mickey Rourke's there, right? His his whiplash is really, really bad villain, in my I opinion. My bird. No, I want I was, beat me to it by a second. <laughs> but we get Sam Rockwell. We yeah. get Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> who are both amazing in the movie. I love them both so much. Um, and I almost kind of want to just, just sprinkle in Paul Bettany as also one in there, as Jarvis is a supporting character too. And I love that pick. I think Iron Man 2 has a bad script. It wasn't executed that great, but I always have a fun time with it. And it's the characters is the reason why I enjoy the characters. I think the actors are charismatic in the roles and it's a fun time. Right. Um, and I'm happy to get more of an OG phase one yeah. pick on my board here. No, I, I like that rationale. Shout out Gary Shandling, RIP in peace um, as well from Iron Man 2. Um, TJ, as you close out our draft, what do we think of the Iron Man 2 pick? I don't have anything to add because I agree 100% with everything David just said. Like, I think that was spot on. The cast is phenomenal. The writing, the script is kind of meh, but uh, like it is fun every time you watch it because even with a meh antagonist that at no point do you feel like is actually going to win, um, he still has some funny lines. He still has some fun action sequences and the rest of the cast that we're introduced to or that's uh, reprising their roles are just fantastic. So. I love the pick. This is tough because there's some shows here that I could I I'd want to go with. You know, last Scarlet, pick. Talk through it. The Scarlet Scarab, May Kalamaui's character in Moon Knight, is one of my favorite additions to the MCU. Mm. Um, the one I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm not picking yet, so don't even say anything about it. I'm not gonna look at your facial expressions is WandaVision. I feel like I really want to pick WandaVision because we got uh, we got Billy and Tommy. We got Jimmy Woo. We got Darcy. All the people in Westview. Of course, Agatha all along. My team 
uh, might just be the spinoff team. And if I want to go with WandaVision there and the one I'm torn with, if I want to pick it or not, screw it. I'm sticking. I convinced myself in with WandaVision when I just talked it through there. I'm going right, with WandaVision in my final pick. And it was between that and Black Widow. It was between WandaVision and Black Widow, David Harbour, Rachel Weisz, of course, Florence Pugh. Just so, so, so incredible. Is she a supporting character? If if you're giving him Bucky in Winter Soldier, I think yeah. you got to give him Yelena <laughs> I, See, here's where, I, here's where I'll disagree. I'm okay getting contentious with you guys. We're good friends. Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Bucky is so clearly, cl- clearly the antagonist of that movie, along with um, Robert Redford, right? Where I don't think Black I said Widow, Robert like, Redford I, when I made that pick. I forgot you got Robert fucking Redford, man. <laughs> Another Oscar winner on your team. I like it. Yeah, but, and I didn't um, even say I, about him. So, Garrett, you're in the clear, buddy. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> too. During our review of Black Widow, I mentioned how this very much felt like a dual lead movie between Natasha and Yelena there. And with the title Black Widow, I was going to make that argument had you picked Black Widow, but I'm going to waste time since you didn't. You picked WandaVision, which I think is a very good pick. And you also didn't mention one of my favorite supporting characters of Phase 4, Monica Rambeau. Monica Rambeau, of course. Yeah, I was so torn with if I wanted to do the Black Widow or not. I agree. Ma'am, Monica Rambeau was incredible. Her and Amon Bellani in Ms. Marvel, which was another one I so deeply considered. But then I realized, what do I love most about Ms. Marvel? It's Amon Bellani, it's Kamala Khan. Mm-hmm. And yep. so Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan are, the re- are just boosting my uh, excitement for the Marvel so heavily. Can't wait for that. This, I'm happy I decided to go with WandaVision because, especially because of your rationale for Black Widow, that also uh, kind of was a deciding factor on made, what made me want to go, not want to go with another show, Hawkeye. Because exactly. if I can take Don't Jeremy Renner out of Hawkeye, that's a win-win. Like that's a good show. That's the mind. That's the worst part of Hawkeye. Because everything else is great. And I don't even hate Jeremy Renner in the role necessarily, but I just actually think that's the worst part of the show because Kate Bishop as Hawkeye is just perfect. Haley Steinfeld. Oh my gosh, he's perfect. We get Kingpin back. We get the tracksuit mafia. Shout out to our boy, Carlos Navarro. Um, And so that was one of my ones as well. But like if I, it's kind of Haley's show is as much as it is Clint's. And so I wouldn't take that without Haley. No, no, and 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 I think that's a good decision. Not picking Black Widow and Hawkeye there, I would have, you know, tried to combat that with dual leads, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just like WandaVision, you don't get Wanda and Vision, yeah, in yeah. this list. But I think it does carry over with uh, Monica being such a good third in that show, along with Agatha as the villain. Uh, let me run back the list before we go to Garrett and David's honorable mentions as well. And of course, I, landed... I got Mephisto in WandaVision as well. Naturally, yes, and <laughs> yeah. Evan Peters. People forget. Yeah, Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer on your team, (laughs) something to be proud of. Um, Here we go. I rolled with Ragnarok, Loki, and Multiverse of Madness. I don't love my team. Garrett got Black Panther, Love and Thunder, and She-Hulk, David, Spider-Man, No Way Home, Spider-Man Homecoming, and Iron Man 2, where Peter Parker does make a cameo appearance, by the way. That's right. Three straight Peter Parkers there. Fucking love my team. Love it. (laughs) As you should. And TJ and Peter Parker. I love that so much. Yeah, it's good stuff. (laughs) Cap Winter Soldier, Shang-Chi, and... WandaVision, Gary, did you have any other honorable mentions on your short list? 
Yes, I I did have Black Widow up there, so I'm glad I didn't choose that because I don't think I would have been prepared to uh, combat that argument because it, <laughs> it never once came to my mind. I invited um, you guys on just to tear down your picks. <laughs> I love that. I love that. We need that. I need. I got to go up against this guy every time, so I need a little bit of practice. <laughs> I, um, I, I will say though, the one the one thing that was on my list that nobody has said so far is Captain Marvel because. <laughs> That is uh that's that is really what you were talking about at the beginning, Matt, where that's one where the lead falters compared to the supporting cast, uh, which is which is a deep supporting cast. And mm-hmm. so that was where I was really deciding, do I choose Captain Marvel or do I go with She-Hulk? Um, that was a tough pick there, but that's my biggest honorable mention. Absolutely. And David, before we go to you, that's the dark horse I had. If multiverse of madness didn't land back to me. Um, in the third, I would have gone Captain Marvel from the rafters just because, like, again, people look at the graphic, ooh, Captain Marvel, I'm not going to vote for that. The, the people's biggest problem is Carol Danvers in that movie. I don't fully understand the immenseness of the hate, but you look at everything else around it with Nick Fury, Phil Coulson, obviously the Rambo family um, and all of those things. But then, you know. I think the scrolls are an incredible part of that movie that people forget about. Like, like there's a scene in that movie and I talk about it all the time where the scrolls are locked behind this like gate situation, some comic book shit and the lights start flickering and Ben Mendelsohn just gives a slight little grin in his little scroll face. That's a, one of the dopest moments of phase three that people just don't talk about. And then of course you, you know, you move on to Jude law who I think is a misunderstood villain but in that role i thought he played it well you know just an asshole jude law plays a good asshole and i think that um he did well there that was gonna be my dark horse david do you have any more on your Gemma list? chan Gemma chan oh love Gemma chan. chan see yeah. you so snuck Gemma chan onto the graphic yeah god damn <laughs> the thing yeah. with that one too that i want to touch on quick is like i think the issue isn't even brie larson because we've seen some phenomenal phenomenal brie larson as captain marvel moments already they just don't really happen in that movie it's when it kind of comes down to when your main protagonist only has 10 percent of her personality for 90 percent of the movie the main purpose is she doesn't remember anything and she's just kind of stonewalled that kind of is hard to relate to and want to cheer for so like that's kind of where i think the biggest issue that comes in there it's the fast seven so much for dealing with the amount of times I cut you off because Garrett's used to it. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that you guys are putting up with me now. I'll throw it to David and I'll shut up. No, no, Come on, man. we invited you on. We want to hear that big old brain of yours. I will say my last one that no one has shouted out is we've, we've almost gotten to every Thor It's just Thor one. Um, Jane Foster, Loki, Odin, Heimdall, Lady Sif, Eric Selvik. Um, Hawkeye as well. Um, and one thing that I forgot to mention in Iron Man 2 was like the shield element of it. Phil Coulson, baby. I got Phil Coulson on my team with yeah, Iron Man I was, 2. And uh, Phil Coulson <laughs> is one of the best supporting characters in the MCU that we've all forgotten about. And he, I mean, phase one, he like he is the glue to phase one, right? It is Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson. And I'm Shout glad I got shield. him on my team in phase er, in, in Iron Man 2. But Thor, um, I think has it in its own right. The great supporting cast to that first film. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you there. I think that um, I think that that movie just 
it's interesting to think about that movie taking out the main character because it is such a main character. Like all these, of course, are focused around the main character, but like Thor is in like every scene of that movie. It feels yeah. like, and that's that's something I thought about. Um, you know who the Clark Gregg is of Phase Four, right? Um, Jimmy Woo, Val, Val, Wong, Wong. 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 <laughs> the yeah, connected yeah, yeah. Yeah, tissue Wong. of that's the true. universe. For sure. Wong is yeah. gonna die. Wong's gonna die. Like that's gonna happen. We've been saying that though. We've been saying that. <laughs> and Wong's just still around. Well, all I ask is that we get like seven seasons of a show uh, about him, like we did with Agents of Shield after the fact, where he <laughs> somehow gets brought back to life, and we just roll with it. Yeah, no, everybody wants more Agents of Shield. That's a common fact across the board. The only one I, the only one that didn't get mentioned that was on my list was Spider Man Far From Home. I didn't pick it because two Spider Man were already taken, not by me. So also on my list, couldn't take it. Yeah, my no, last one, I, I, on, dude. I, I thought you might have done the like, little triple dip, man. The triple dip yeah, didn't make much fun. sense, though. It would have just been adding like Jake Joe and Hall. And yeah, no, I, I really like the theory. supporting cast of the Spider-Man <laughs> franchise. That could have been your draft. Like, you could have just drafted was. the Spider-Man franchise off the board and forfeited the rest of the draft. <laughs> it almost yeah. was. I considered it. I wanted to get a, li- a little mix up, a little a little twist in there. It's good stuff. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and uh, this has been the supporting characters draft. I think that uh, Black Panther was a great inspiration for this. I'm excited to see how people react to Black Panther Wakanda Forever being majority the supporting cast of Black Panther adding in the more, of course. Um, so yeah, there it is, guys. TJ, um, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on and joining us for this draft. We always love having you around the direct podcast. Garrett, why don't you tell me where we can listen to you guys next? Yes, yes. Uh, we are doing live shows every here and there. We're gonna be uh TJ is gonna be chatting with Aaron Perrine from comicbook.com tomorrow. Shout out uh, Aaron Perrine with a fucking day, by the way. <laughs> absolutely absolutely Hell yes on the marvel studios official like black panther quoted page right on their pin tweet shout out aaron shout out aaron. yeah we we love aaron uh so tj's gonna be chatting with him tomorrow and uh we we do a, a, t- a reality tv podcast now called ticket to reality with lee swift finalist of the circle season two on netflix so uh if you, yeah. any, any <laughs> listeners love reality tv go check out ticket to reality and uh, you can find me at Real Slim Blaney or at the Real Slim Blaney um, on Twitter and Instagram. That's awesome. And uh, TJ, what what we got going on over at Agents of Fandom outside of the media stuff? So lots of big stuff right now. We uh, I got it. I just interviewed the other day uh, Robin De Jesus from Welcome to Chippendales, which is the new Kamel Nanjani show coming to Hulu and Disney Plus. Nice. And Robin De Jesus, of course, uh, stars as Michael in Tick Tick Boom, one of my all time favorite movies with uh, with Andrew Garfield. And so got to chat with him. That's going to be up uh, as soon as the embargo lifts next week. Um, and we got a bunch of other uh, interviews that you can find at the Agents of Fandom YouTube page and on our website, agentsoffandom.com. But uh, honestly, if I'm being real, it's just been so busy. We got I got so much brain fog. I don't even remember what I'm supposed to be plugged in or anything. So I'm Good just thankful to set a set a block aside of time with some uh, great guys like like uh, the two of you and the. Our many friends at the direct.com. Shout out Richard Nebbins, the best one of the best people in the business um and so i'm very thankful i got to 
draft superhero stuff with my friends and not think about real life for a bit. This has been awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Doing hood rat shit with your hood rat friends. David, I think that gave us an excuse to play Tick, Tick, Boom going out of the podcast, which is always exciting. I will be putting that album on repeat the moment we hop off. But until next time, this has been The Direct Draft. What about me? I feel bad that you feel bad about me feeling bad about you feeling bad about what I said about